Hi, and welcome back to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Barnabal, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Victor Rodriguez. Victor, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Nathan. I am very excited to have our guest on the show, and I'm very excited to talk about movies with you guys, like always. I am very excited as well, and we also have with us our our third co-host, Trey Whetstone. Trey, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Nathan, ready to talk our topic here. Yeah, yeah. So this, I'm very excited about this. Last time we did the Christmas episode, and as I was putting those show notes together, I realized, oh, well, you know what? This is the first time the three of us of HMP 2.0 got a chance to do a Christmas episode, and that's actually going to be true of the episode that's going to be true of the episode we're doing right now, which is our best movies of 2023. This is the first time we're doing a best of show on horror movie podcast. And we mentioned this a little bit at the end of the last episode, but uh, we tried to record this. We wanted to record this early so that we could get it out before the end of the year or, or right with uh, flush with the end of the year and still have time for everyone to put in their top 10 list, which if you go over to Facebook, you can you can go in and Trey, there's a link, right, that we can go in and people can fill out their top tens of uh 2023 yeah it should be saved up there in the featured it should be pinned up there in the featured and also they pinned tweet on uh, twitter last time i checked i don't know if that's been changed or not since new episodes have come out but um, it's in there amongst the tweets yeah and you can go right in there and submit your top 10 and so we wanted to give people a little bit of extra time until the first january 1st to put their top 10s in and so we're going to come back with a second episode where we talk uh, more about our honorable mentions, about movies that didn't make the list, and the year in general. And we'll have a few of our thoughts tonight about that. And then we will focus on the listener top tens. We'll read all of those and delve into the year itself a little bit more. Maybe talk about things we're interested in that are coming in 2024. But tonight we are going to do our top 10 10 to number one and uh, focus right there. And we did want to bring in a special guest to join us tonight and and give him an opportunity to share his top 10 with us as well. And uh, this is a a good friend of the show, good friend of a lot of shows, podcasts and horror podcasts and a good personal friend. I'm going to bring in Brian Scott. Brian, how are you doing, man? Hey, Nathan, Trey and Victor. What an honor to join Horror Movie Podcast 2.0, like you said. I'm really excited about the the new show you guys put on. You've done a terrific job, and I'm just so happy to be here and so honored you had me on for the best of 2023. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight, guys. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, what, I, what we're going to do is go round robin and share top tens. I mentioned the, we were talking before this, and... You know, the truth is, I don't know that there are any ties or anything like that, but we don't really have any rules regarding that. I, you know, I tried to just for Bill Van Vagel's sake, find a way to get a six way tie in, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, who know, who knows what you'll see? I tried, I tried to behave myself, but there are no basic rules. We're going to go around Rob until we get to the, the top and our number one movies. So before that, though, I thought we could talk a little bit about the uh, year itself just again just each person's individual feelings on it and then we'll do a deeper dive next time have like an actual full-blown discussion but uh brian i'm gonna throw it over to you first 
Uh, what were your overall feelings about horror movies in 2023? I think it was a good year. I don't think it was a great year like the last two or three years were. But hey, I had no problem filling out a top ten. There was many movies I liked. I I think we talked earlier that, you know, I, I think I've seen like about 40-something from this year. And numbers 10 through 30 could have been, you know, in my 10 through 6. And a lot of interchangeable movies there, but there's an upper echelon of four or five movies that I really, really liked. I'm talking a 9, even 10 out of 10 on a few of them. But just still a solid year. I think it was a little different than last year. Last year we had a lot of heavy hitters. You know, a lot of franchise movies like Chainsaw, Halloween, you know, Hellraiser. You know, all the biggies came up last year. This year we didn't really get that as much. But that's fine because I like a lot of original content. And you'll see, at least in my top five, they're not really franchise movies. I don't think they are. I don't know. I have to look at my list again. But just it's a real. it was a unique year. Just a unique year, in my opinion. A lot of original stuff and... I'm always down for that. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And I think you made a good point. That as I think back to 2022, it wasn't just that there were great movies. There were definitely a lot of love them or hate them movies that were parts of franchises that people were excited about. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's always down to the individual and what you get excited by. And there were some franchise uh, big excitements for me this year, but we'll talk <laughs> a little bit more about that. Trey, uh, how about you? What were your thoughts on the year 2023 in horror movies? Uh, Good, not great. I think it was a solid year. I think there were plenty of good films. And honestly, I think it was better from top to bottom on the whole. Like if you averaged out the movies of the year, Um, because I feel like some years I have a lot of high highs, but we also have a lot of low lows. And I didn't see a lot of that this year. At least I didn't watch those movies but it's still better than what we were we had before, maybe like a decade ago or a little less than that, I feel like. Um, I feel like it's still deep. There's still a ton of horror. Now, the back half of my top 10, I think was going to be a little, a little stronger. But I had a movie that I had to take off there because it didn't officially release yet. But I think it's going to be interesting to see the back halves of these lists. Like Brian said, I don't think there's many consensus number ones or number twos or anything like that but uh, it's gonna be very interesting to see the variety i think especially at the bottom half of these lists yeah i i agree and i definitely did a lot of shuffling (laughs) i could be shuffling right now you wouldn't even know it um (laughs) victor how about you uh your thoughts on 2023 in r same same man like i was i i reorganized my bottom for one minute before we started recording. So hopefully when the time comes, my list will make sense. But yeah, I felt like this was the year of Tubi. Now, unfortunately, none of the Tubi movies that I saw showed up in my top 10 some were very close, though, um, and uh, that's another reason I can't wait for the honorable mentions episode, so we can go into those because I. Do think... You mean like to be original? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. To be original is just horror films mm-hmm. on to be. No, I think uh, these are 2023 films that to be either helped distribute or they just licensed uh, for their channel. 
but 2023 is the first year where that's happened. I think maybe in past past couple of years, one movie I might have seen on Tubi or something like that. But I think that they're they're getting better. Like they have a better A and R department, or whatever you call it, in uh, film choosing uh, land. Uh, yeah, and I agree with what you guys said. Uh, yeah, there are one or two super strong movies, and then a lot of movies that I think could be in any place between, uh, for me, between 10 and 7. But uh, we'll get into that as we go. Oh, yeah, I'm not confident at all on the back half of this one <laughs> because I could literally sneeze. And if I, re- and honestly, if I read one of, about seven movies i won't correct myself because it'll all be about the same down in like the 10 uh the you know nine and ten but i do want to go back to something brian that you said you know and i think we're all uh, we all say good not great i think that's definitely true when you said that about the 40 horror movies you know i did think you know this year had a lot of horror movies released i did feel like there were times when there were like three brand new releases on streaming alone that we had the options of on any given weekend. Yeah, I'm a little ashamed I only watched 40 because I was actually low for what I would try to watch in a new horror year. But I should have prepped more for this episode. But I, I agree with Victor that I was frantically reorganized. Like, just to pull back the curtain, you guys just asked me today to join the episode. I would have prepared more. I'm sorry. But I was like shuffling my. It was hours. We asked you hours before this happened. Don't worry about it. I, I was. I, I'm like Victor. I was like switching around my seven through ten, almost yeah. com- completely from yesterday to today. That that's how much you could swap out like the bottom half of my list because there there was a lot of good movies that felt it. It was hard figuring out which ones to put in there. You know, I dropped Blood and Honey out of it to Nathan's surprise. <laughs> you know, that will not be in my top 10, but I still like that movie. Delight but, is the word you're looking for, <laughs> not surprise. Yeah, you don't have to talk about that one tonight. But yeah, yeah, my 7 through 10 really flopped around at the last second. Yeah, there's not much difference between my number 7 and my number 30, I feel like. And yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and in a way, though, that's a, that is a different kind of positive for the year. Yeah. Because it shows that there were a lot of, because I will be honest, in most years, uh, even last year, after about 15, it dropped off a bit. Like, you know, I, I definitely, there's movies there where I might not even want to talk about anything past the 20, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, there's no steep cliff this year, so it can't drop off. Right, exactly. And I mean, that is, I think I felt like I was seeing consistently solid movies, but I do agree there were only a handful of times when I felt really like surprised or, you know, like this stands out and this is going to be something that I'm going to look to. To, to watch again and again, or, or that just has that kind of impact that, okay, this can't be ignored this year. And those are the movies we're talking about tonight, really. And then next week we'll have, or, you know, on the next episode, we'll be able to talk in more detail about, you know, all of those other movies. Cause I do think it's worthwhile, you know, at least mentioning some of these titles and the movies that, that were out there as options that were solid entertainment, if not, you know, the best of the best. So, but here tonight, we're here to talk about the best of the best. So Brian, do you want to give us your number 10 movie? Sure. Thank you, Nathan. I'd love to. And to start my number 10, it's, it's just a couple days after Christmas here. And you know, I love my Christmas horror. So I had to squeeze one into my list and I won't be picking Bill's review from last episode. 
Chris, Christmas Craft Fair <laughs> Massacre. Bill convinced me to skip that one. And yeah, so, Bill was like, this is at the bottom of things the rare I've ever seen. He, he yeah. gave it a one out of ten. That's enough. Bill, I trust your opinion, so I'll skip <laughs> that one on Tubi. But I'm going to go with a movie that wasn't well-received. But I watched it twice, and it was as good the second time as the first one. It's a Wonderful Knife. A play on, obviously, It's a Wonderful Life, directed by Tyler McKendry. And I really like the cast in this one. The lead girl, Jane Widrup, I think her name is, played it great. And Cassandra Maud, you know, she's the one with that birthmark on her face from uh, that great movie Influencer, which was that this year or was that last yeah, year? Yeah, that was this year. year. Oh, this year, yeah. And I loved her in Influencer, too. And um, just what a good cast that movie had. Even Catherine Isabel from Ginger Snaps. She played the aunt. And it was just a fun take on, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. And I love these type of movies. I love a slasher, and I love, like, a time travel type slasher. You know, we got that in Happy Death Day and maybe in another movie this year. And I like that type of a theme in a movie. It's something refreshing, interesting. So It's a Wonderful Knife was my number 10 this year. Yeah, and um, if you'd listened to our last episode, I think I was the high man on that one. But I, I liked a lot of the things about it too, Brian. It just didn't kind of come together as a complete picture. But I thought the leads were great. And I thought uh, Catherine Isabel, when she was on screen, was great as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So that's mine. Got to squeeze very, that Christmas horror in there somewhere. It's right. very cool. So we went from a someone giving it a one last last <laughs> time to a, to a t- pot, uh, 10 spot in the top 10. So very cool, Brian. Thank you. Uh, okay, Trey, how about your number 10? Yeah, my number 10 is one within what is quickly becoming one of my new favorite sub-sub-genres, which is screen life. And um, that is the film Resurrected, or was that... Uh... Yeah, it's just Resurrected, not the Resurrected. But one that has to do with, you know, a lot of religious themes, a lot of a really cool concept, honestly, because it's something happens and we're made aware of something and the church actually gains kind of complete power, which is almost the opposite of what happens a lot of times. Yeah, I thought it was just really cool. I liked the the idea of these people. <laughs> I don't like the idea, but I like the uh, the core concept of these people that go in and basically uh, can scrub you out of existence if they find that you're doing stuff that's inappropriate and all this other stuff. So it's going to keep you from getting resurrected. So, uh, you know, when there is something that's been discovered and you can come back from the dead. It kind of shakes up the world as you would assume. And we follow this father who is really trying to get his life back together. He is now working for the church and I won't get into too many more details, but I thought this was effective. Again, I really do like the screen life subgenre of like the uh, found footage horror. And uh, yeah, that is my number 10. Very cool. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Victor. Yeah, you really should. This one just fell out of my top 10. Victor, that movie is fantastic. I really mm-hmm. liked it. It, uh, Like you said, it's not really found footage. It's more like, what did you call it? Like screen? Screen life, yeah. yeah. Like something like Unfriended. or Exactly. It's really mm-hmm. well done. The, it follows the storyline of the father and his issues and his personal life. Just really a really solid movie. Everybody should go watch Resurrected. 
Yeah, and I I want to shout out here Amanda Lee. Amanda was the person who told me about this movie first. I think Trey, I can't, I can't. I know we throw titles back and forth. I can't remember I if can't I told remember. you about this. It might have been Amanda to you yeah. to me or something. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> it was some kind of pipeline, but I do think Amanda was the first person I heard talking about this movie. And then I did check it out, and uh, I agree. I it didn't quite make the top ten, but it's right like outside there, and. The thing that I like, the screen life description you gave, Trey, I appreciate because this movie is almost deals on the, the fringes of science fiction because it is very much speculative in, in thinking how our current modern world would react to the idea that not only can people be resurrected, but guess what? The church has the power over that. And that, mm-hmm. I think, is where it became very fascinating and it went into like the virtual reality. They were having virtual reality like church sessions where you can come in and the church will tell you about the resurrected. And of course it does uh, develop into a horror film, but I think that is an excellent example of people taking a limited amount of resources they had to make this film and heading down that found footage screen life road and still being ambitious about it. I mean, this is a big ambitious story. This is like, Da Vinci Code level, you know, uh, conspiracy stuff going on, yeah. and it's it's pretty interesting. I love it. Yeah, and if you want something with a similar premise, but kind of on the other end of the spectrum that leans more into the sci-fi drama, not a horror film, um, something a film called Next Exit dealt with a very similar, yes, you know, afterlife sci-fi premise. So, uh, yeah, that is my number ten. Very cool. And Victor, how about your number ten movie of twenty twenty three? My number 10 is a movie we've already covered on the podcast. It's Evil Dead Rise. Uh, I guess the thing that if I didn't mention in the in the episode where we covered that movie and the entire franchise in depth, that needs to be said is that this is the one horror franchise that never made a misstep. Like I think that they may not all be fantastic, but they're all pretty damn good. And uh, I think that they, they never made a film or, or, uh, or an episode of Ash versus Evil Dead where you're like, uh, they jumped the shark. That's, that hasn't happened yet. And that's amazing because it's been in play since whatever, 1980 or 81. And uh, I'm very proud of those guys. I feel like I've grown up with them and uh, I, they didn't disappoint me this time either. I'm glad I saw this in the theater and um, yeah, highly, highly recommended. It's uh, I guess it's uh, it's evil dead, but it's in a disused about to be demolished apartment building. So you pretty much know what's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, I enjoyed this one as well, Victor, as I believe we talked about on our earlier episode that you referenced. And uh, yeah, it slipped outside of my top 10, but I thought the stuff, especially early on in the film, was just really creepy and intense. And uh, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I agree that there hasn't been a misstep in the series yet, at least as far as the films are concerned. Well, well said, because I'm a big Evil Dead fan and the remake was fantastic. And this movie just like you trade just fell on my top 10, but it could easily be in there. It's a really good movie. Oh yeah. And just one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, the, uh, the director has a short film that's available on either Tubi or YouTube. I forget which one, but it's called ghost train. And, uh, I recommend it. It's 
pretty creepy. And it's, it's it is cool. very cool. Yeah. It's neat. And I loved Evil Dead Rise as well. Uh, a similar situation just fell outside of the top 10, but it's really right there. And the other thing, Victor, about it is you're right. Uh, you've had all these entries. You've had four movies and, or five movies now, and you've had the TV series and consistent quality amongst all of them. But I'd also say that in in their own way, each one is a little different. Like they're not, there's no movie that completely regurgitates the movie that came before it. And Alyssa Sutherland was the MVP for me in this. Like this is the first, the thing unique about this is it's the first time for me where as interesting as the family members were, the deadite was sometimes the most charismatic person on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't yeah, usually happen. Maybe back in the bad ash days, but you know. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I find it flabbergasting that she's not the first one listed in the IMDb starring lineup. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I have a feeling after this film, she will be. <laughs> Very cool. Yes, I like that movie quite a bit, and I'm I'm all for more Evil Dead. And I think that Evil Dead Rise did a nice mixture of having the off-the-wall Sam Raimi stuff with more of that kind of stuff that Fetty Alvarez did. And so I think that was interesting to watch the movie actually do a shift, like that scene in the hallway, and just go for it. And like, oh, now we're, we're, we're back in Sam Raimi territory now. Yeah. So my number 10 is a movie that actually quite surprised me. It, I had an opportunity to go to the theater to see it was playing one night only. I'm glad I did get out to see it. It's in a, a sub-genre that I love, when it's done right, but it's so rarely done right that I think we could probably count uh, in the twenties, the, the movies in the subgenre that actually work, even though it's a pretty prolific one. And that is a subgenre of anthology horror films. And so the movie that I'm my number 10 is a movie directed by not one person, but five different people. The segments are directed by pe- five different people. Those people being Eduardo Sanchez, Mike Mendez, Alejandro Ruiz, uh, Damian Rugna, and Gigi Saul Guerrero. And they are the satanic Hispanics of the digital yes. satanic Hispanics. That's the name of the film. It is an anthology with a wraparound story that then intercuts four other installments. And here's the thing about it. This is one of the few cases where, first off, the question is always, well, which stories work? To some extent, every single story in this anthology works. And the wraparound story is most of the time so interesting that you never think once you go from one segment, you're ready to see more of the of the interstitching. And that's pretty unusual. And at the end of the day, there's a satisfying conclusion to the wraparound story, which features this character that they call the Traveler. And he's he's played by Ephraim Ramirez, that most people probably would recognize playing Pedro and Napoleon Dynamite, I would think, you know, probably that's going to be the touchstone for a lot of people. Here, he's a man who survived a massacre, a, a shootout with, that's left a ton of people dead, and he's the only survivor. And they bring him into the police station, and as they're talking to him, he's trying to convince them that something bad is coming for him and he needs to stay on the move. And then he tells them four stories that... Uh, share only the connection that supernatural happenings are occurring out there in the world and that they may be tied in some way to the traveler and to whatever's chasing him. 
This movie, though, is it has a great diversity to it. It has a lot of fun. The segments go from anywhere from being extremely creepy. Now, we uh, like Rugna, for example, had just did uh, who just released Where Evil Lurks. That movie is similar to what he's doing in this small segment. He also did the movie Terrified a few years earlier. That there's some of that about a man who's using uh, who who's a genius at Rubik's cubes and he's using mathematical equations to potentially speak to the ghosts in his apartment. That's a neat idea. There's a whole segment that's done almost like something halfway between Robert Rodriguez and say Buffy the Vampire Slayer that, that has Jonah Joel uh, no excuse me the Jonah Ray Rodriguez in it and he has an entire uh, musical number where he's fighting <laughs> fighting a monster. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good stuff in here. There are um, Guerrero segment is maybe the one that I connected with the least, but it's so dense with mythology that it's almost impossible not to appreciate it. There's so much going on that I feel like there's a mini series <laughs> buried behind the eight or nine minutes of uh, of short that I saw, and uh, just some really good stuff. And I thought Sanchez's segment, which involves a vampire and a funny little conceit that I won't get into handled it wonderfully but this movie looks great it sounds great this is a great example of what these artists can do i i enjoy taking these these disparate voices and connecting them this under the banner of a cultural you know connection and it really works i think we all knew that these directors were turning out good work already this is the sampler platter in essence but it's a really good fun movie i i highly recommend it yep i uh i loved it as well had a lot of fun with it especially the uh the hammer of zanzibar that was uh (laughs) that was one i didn't expect to like but i did so um i like you said nathan i liked uh every piece of that anthology even though you know the wraparound took a little bit to get there but it uh it did get there in the end yeah, I, 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 think I, so. I enjoyed it very much, too. And it's absolutely wonderful to see my people thrive. Uh, and um, yeah, the uh, the segment you described, Nathan, that was my favorite, <laughs> the, the creepy one, <laughs> the directed by Demian Rugna. Yes, yes, uh, it yeah, is. Great idea. Yeah. And they don't over uh, to me, none of them overstayed their welcome. They all had something to offer in some way. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's my number 10, which brings us to, Brian, your number nine. My number nine is another one that I don't think will be on your guys' list. Maybe it is. I hope it is. But it's something that I never thought would make my top 10 because the first movie of this two-part series so far, I did like. I liked it, but this one I loved, and that's Wrath of Becky. And the reason I liked Wrath of Becky so much was Lulu Wilson. This girl, the lead character, Becky, is so charismatic. And she was in the first one, but in this one, she takes it up a notch. It's almost a one-location setting movie where she gets her revenge at the... Kind of in the same theme as the first one. They invade her house. In this one, she invades their house for revenge. And Lulu Wilson really takes the reins on this movie, delivering a fantastic performance. I mean, she steals the show for me. Great cast throughout, and that's my number nine, Wrath of Becky. I, I really, really like this movie. I think it really topped the first one, Becky. 
Now, uh, Brian, I've got a problem with what you just said because Wrath of Becky is on my list and, in fact, is my oh. number nine. Oh, um, wow, yes. Nice. So, <laughs> this was one going into the year that I didn't feel like uh, would ever make my list because I think I was I, I liked the original Becky, but I didn't have any really positive feelings, like, you know, one way or the other. But I think this one really exceeded that first one in my estimation. And yes. it was just a lot of fun. And this is probably the only fun movie I have on my top 10, unfortunately. Everything <laughs> else is kind of like dour. But uh, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. I really like this one. I'm so glad you had it in your list because I, I just love how she flips the script from the first one. She's on the defense of this one. She's so confident in what she does. Her quip one-liners. The confidence she has setting traps, it's like Home Alone outside of the bad guy's house. So I'm so glad you have that at your number nine as well. Yeah, yeah, especially um, I liked her relationship with her uh, kind of caretaker, the the woman she lived with, um, Elaine. I thought that was their back and forth was really good as well. So Yeah, that was good. And what's funny about these movies is, you know, part one had Kevin James, you know, from King of Queens, and they turn him into a villainous character, which is outside of anything he's ever done. And they kind of do the same thing with Sean William Scott Stifler from American Pie. And he's kind of a different, you know, character than he's ever played as well. So it's kind of what these movies do. They have a comedic character playing the horror straight with them. And I thought Stifler did a great job as like the lead bad guy. He really did. <laughs> he was more convincing to me than the Kevin James performance in the other movie. And I agree uh, with that. And that's yeah. another reason why I like this one better. I really like this better than the first movie. I, I agree, and I think a lot of that is down to what you said, Lulu Wilson. It it didn't quite make my list, but I did enjoy it. It to me, it felt like a similar deal with, you know, there's Orphan, and it's fine, and then there's Orphan Two, and like, hey, this is pretty good. And it's it was a similar situation with Becky. I don't think that the Wrath of Becky I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Orphan First Kill, but I do think that they both uh, they actually give the franchise a reason to be. Yeah, that's a great point. Because when I saw Orf Orphan First Kill, I'm thinking, how are they gonna how are they gonna do a part two to this movie? I know that's a prequel, but kind of with Becky, I'm like, really, they're gonna make her kill a bunch of people again? But they did it. <laughs> they did it in the right way. Because in this one, she's more on the offensive, not the defensive. Yeah, like she she has nothing to lose at this point, and she goes just crazy on them. I loved it. Yeah, uh, it, it, the the Wrath of Becky didn't quite make my top 10 list, but I really, really liked it. Uh, it's definitely going to be in my honorable mentions. It's um, more of a comedy than a horror <laughs> film, but it mixes the two genres very well. I agree that Stifler uh, was awesome. Um, I, I also love that guy in Goon and the Goon yes. sequel. But uh, yeah, what's interesting, what I found interesting about The Wrath of Becky, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be two of you out there that care about this, um, <laughs> but uh, it follows almost the exact same structure as one of my favorite uh, pulp novels by Elmore Leonard called Valdez is Coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and what, what, I, what absolutely thrilled me about Valdez is Coming was, is that exactly halfway through the book, he says that line, like he goes, just tell him Valdez is coming. And it's like, oh man, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens in uh, The Wrath of Becky. That's when they get the message saying, this is from Becky. <laughs> it's exactly halfway through the film. And I was like, oh, these guys are Elmore Leonard fans. Um, but of course, you know, this movie is totally different than Valdez is coming. It's not a Western, but it is a highly energized, 
thoroughly enjoyable, bloody comedy. And I don't know if they could have gotten away with it with anyone other than Lulu Wilson. She hits like she perfectly walks that tightrope walk of we're taking it seriously. But there's the tongue in cheek aspect, too. Like she's got that fun. But you also have to believe she could kill these people. Yep. She was excellent. Yeah. So that awesome. Great choice. So and your number nine is the same. Is that right, Trey? Yep. Okay. so Victor, your number nine. Come and get your waffle iron. <laughs> it's uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, we covered this on another show, uh, so I'll be brief. Uh, I think the one thing I didn't say before was Eli Roth. I think uh, I know that some super fans of the trailer were disappointed by what the film became after the trailer, but uh, I think that he made all the right choices if he wanted to make money. Uh, on this movie and um, possibly engender a sequel, which I think he has. I think it's been greenlit, so we can look for that. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a legitimate franchise. There, there's if this were a 1980s movie, there would be like any one of three spectacular kills that are in Thanksgiving would be enough to distinguish this movie and make it uh, an 80s classic. So you're getting three 80s movies in one. Uh, and I, I really hope this franchise thrives. It's, it's great. It's definitely my favorite Thanksgiving horror movie. Well, <laughs> so we're, so we're, we're having this repeat itself because my number nine is also <laughs> Thanksgiving. And I have to be honest, I enjoyed that Grindhouse trailer way back in the day. But when I saw it, the moment it was over, I thought to myself, there's no way he's ever going to be able to make that movie. Right. I believe that that wisdom still bears out. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no one has made that movie. He made a completely different movie. And I, not completely different, but he made a different movie. And I am actually surprised. This is one of the films. There were a couple others that ended up not quite making the list. But I thought, man, I'm actually surprised that these movies are even contention for my list. That's that's a really good thing about this year is that a movie like Thanksgiving that had so much buildup and could have really gotten out of Eli Ross' control, he shows a a surprising amount of control in the movie he put together, because as we discussed on the show on the last show, you know, in my mind, he took 90 slashers, which became tired very quickly after scream. And some people would say they didn't even quite get out of the gate. And then, he, but you know, there are a lot of ones I have, there are a lot of those 90 slashers. I have a very fond uh, memory of. And so he takes the 90 slashers and the 80s slashers, which I think we would all agree, that's where most of the fondness for slashers lie in the in those outrageousness of the 1980s. The outrageousness of the kills in Thanksgiving mixed with the more mystery element and there's more character focus that was a hallmark of the 90s and sort of weird plotting like the, the whodunit taken to ridiculous extremes. You get all that in Thanksgiving. You have those wonderful prior evil that victor alluded to with the waffle irons <laughs> and this great you know people i was watching krampus with my kids recently and there's that great black friday opening but that has nothing on the black friday sequence in this movie and you know the chase scenes and the kill scenes are handled here in a way that show a little bit of restraint on his part that might sound weird when we think of what happens in some of those scenes <laughs> but they're certainly restrained from the trailer you know the fake trailer they're also more restrained in a sense that Eli Roth doesn't feel 
like every single sequence has to be undercut with like a frat boy joke. And I think that worked in his favor. There are extended chase scenes here where we're invested in what's happening to the characters almost just because they're fighting for their survival and we know what they're up against is so horrible. And I really like that. It's one of the first slashers in a while that I felt very invested in. And I would argue, though, that this is a fun movie, that this you can have, like you're saying, Victor, this uh, what's happening in the movie wouldn't be fun if it was happening to me. But it's got a very sort of gleeful, fun tone to the film mixed with some actual suspense and some actual thrills. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree, Nathan. I, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of nineties uh, slashers, but uh, I, I do, sorry, but I do agree that um, this movie takes the best aspects of the 90 slashers I've seen and, uh, and combines yeah. it with eighties splash, I guess, um, outrageousness. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just messing with you, Victor, but that's a, it's a great pick guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it and I highly recommend it. and people can see it. They, you have to pay a little bit, but it is on streaming right now. You can rent or buy it, I believe. Okay. So let's move on then to our number eight. Brian, what is your number eight film of 2023? My number eight is an A24 movie. Talk to me. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that got a lot of hype early. Then I had people say, eh, it was all right. Then I watched, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? This is one of the, this is what I was talking about. One of the most original plots of the year. I love when somebody brings something original. And this was it for me. Directed by the Filippo brothers. I'm assuming they're brothers, Danny and Michael. You know, I, I don't know what else they've done, but they hit a home run with this one for me. And what a what a genius plot this one has where there's a severed genie hand encased in a, I guess, stone. And right from the beginning, they do a seance. And you're thinking, oh, this isn't going to work. But no, it works. And how freaked out would you be if you were at that party? And somebody becomes possessed for 30, 30 <laughs> or what, under 60 seconds. You got to cut it off at 60 seconds or whatever it is, 45 seconds. And man, this one really surprised me so much so that, you know, I rented this movie, so I had it for two days. The next day I turned it on again. I'm like, you know, I, I got to watch that again. Mm-hmm. And it even went up even more for me the second day. I watched it. Really good one. Talk to me. That's right. We were texting about this one and you were talking about it and I was like, watch it again. <laughs> oh, oh was I? Again. Yeah. 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 We I think I, yeah. I was a little underwhelmed the first time. Maybe I was half asleep. The next day I turned it on. I'm like, man, this is a genius. This is a genius. Uh, yeah. I think it's a two. I think it's, it, it takes two viewings at the very least. I think to fully appreciate what they were trying uh-huh. to do. Cause I had a similar experience, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. And this is their first feature film. The stuff mm-hmm. they've done is like YouTube stuff, Brian. Pretty messed up stuff. The one I watched had uh, a guy dressed like Ronald McDonald killing people in a fast food chicken franchise. No, but... I, I want you to bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> Have I talked about it before? You sent me the link. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I watched it and that was... <laughs> And I forgot about it, and I was fine. <laughs> but they have a they have a lot of ideas. They put a lot of ideas into that film, and it it works out pretty well. Talk yeah. to me. Yeah, it's really one of the best first features I can think of. And um, yeah, I totally agree with what the guy said. It is on my top ten list, um, a little further up the ladder. But 
Yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And uh, I'm pretty sure that when I got COVID during the summer, it was watching this movie, uh, but worth it. You hear that? That's a rave of the year. It gave me COVID. <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. Can you imagine? Now, that would be something, right? Like, if you knew a movie would give you a disease, would you watch it anyway? But anyway. Oh, that's uh, the, the, that's a Brandon Cronenberg movie. Yeah. That is, really. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think it was original. But... Um, <laughs> Good, good, uh, good pick, Brian. Trey, your number eight. Yeah, my number eight is a Blumhouse film, and um, this one I thought was just very tense, is I think the word to describe it, and that is The Passenger. Oh, yeah. And this is something that's very different from um, the other Carter Smith film that I'd seen, uh, The Ruins, which I liked as well. But I just felt like that was the name of the game was the tension and the, you know, you're, you never feel like you're allowed to, you can breathe for a minute, but then, you know, another situation is going to come up and it's kind of just hit after hit of this thing. Um, I don't want to spoil too much for this because I feel like if you go into this pretty blind, the opening of the film's pretty, uh, pretty cool, pretty, <laughs> it'll get you. But yeah, I just found as these two main characters in this, mainly these two characters there are other cast members just keep going and the stakes keep getting higher and higher until we're led down to the the ending where i think is probably one of the best parts of the movies and that's pretty rare for 2023 as we've talked about before yeah i just loved the passenger i thought it was a great film this is good and it is very tension filled like you said it it has some of the kind of tension and it is kind of like as the title implies, like a little bit of a road movie. So some of that same tension that exists in a movie like Duel exists mm. in this movie, but there's a back and forth here that's real. Like those, the, the leads in this are pretty strong. Nice. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet either, but I it's on my list now. Th- this is one that I didn't catch yet, and my heart sunk when you said it because... Nathan had suggested this to me a few weeks ago and God, I forgot about it and it's streaming right now on MGM and dang it. I'm going to watch that tomorrow because this looks really, really good. I'm so bummed. I did not get to see it for this episode. Yeah. I think you'll like it. Yeah. It was just outside. It really was just outside my top 10. Okay. And Victor, your number eight. My number eight is. Birth Rebirth. <laughs> uh, I take it by your reaction. Me too. Maybe on one of your lists. Well, let's take this one together then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah th- w- let's see what IMDb says. A morgue technician successfully reanimates the body of a little girl, but to keep her breathing, she will need to harvest some biological materials from pregnant women. Okay. So, um, yeah. Uh, it's a familiar story, but I think I really like the way they cover this one and focused on the types of horror that a mother will go to to fix her child. Like that, I really haven't seen that before in in a movie done so well as this. And uh you know, I liked everything about it. I didn't think there were any missteps. I thought that uh, the performances were all great. 
and it's it's mostly these two women taking the whole show, but there, there are a few supporting actors. They're all good too. A nice atmosphere. Yeah. I liked everything about it. How did you, uh, how did you like it? Nathan? Yeah, I, I agree. Everything you said is, is true, Victor. The thing about this is the quotient of horror to drama in this one is mm-hmm. such that the drama I think is first at the forefront of, of the film. And because of that, it's absolutely imperative that these two leads that are doing this together like this is there's elements of a frankenstein story here but it goes so realistically i think in the way it depicts the people involved yeah and you to show you each side of what they're thinking and why they're trying to do this and it takes it out of the sort of grand gothic abstraction and it makes it so real that man i felt kind of bummed out (laughs) that (laughs) this thing was finally over because of how real these people seemed and what they were willing to do to arrive at this point it it's fascinating it's tension filled in a sort of different way from the passenger where it's not necessarily white knuckle but it's a sinking kind of feeling in the pit of your chest as you watch these things unfold there's an inevitability and there's also a certain amount of shock to see as these two progress but it couldn't be done without these two leads with uh, Jody Reyes and Marin Ireland. They're, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one's excellent. Unfortunately, I feel bad. It got kind of lost in the shuffle of those, um, you know, three and a half star films that I had so many of this year, but I thought it was excellent. I thought there was um, a really good, a kind of a unique premise that I feel like we don't see something like that very often. And you're right. It does err on the side of drama, but I think there's enough horror there to definitely justify that being. Oh, it's a horror, a horror film. film yeah. Sure. I, I just think it's, here they do yeah. deal with the emotions of the characters yes. in a yeah. really unique way. Yeah. That's a great pick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we should also mention uh, one of the characters is neuro atypical. Like they, yes. they, they kind of, just they don't really mention it by name in the in the movie but uh she has some kind of autistic spectrum thing going on and uh, i that made the interplay between the two main women really interesting yes and they don't beat you over the head with that either victor which is like it's just a character trait right it's just a facet and that was lovely writing and directing i think and laura uh laura moss is the director of this and i think i I'm very excited to see what she's going to do next. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so that was also, uh, as pointed out, my number eight. So your number seven, Brian. My number seven, Dark Harvest, directed by David Slade. Dark Harvest is, it's a different type of movie for me because, well, first of all, this movie is shot so well. It looks beautiful. It really does. And when I first went into this movie, I was thinking, man, this sounds, it doesn't sound good. But as it unfolded, I thought it was going to be like a scarecrow slasher movie. It wasn't that, you know, the Jacko character or whatever his name was. I thought it was going to be about that. It wasn't as much about that as the night that they send the high school kids out to kill him to relieve a yearly curse on the night of Halloween to save their crops in the small town. It was more about, it was like the purge. These kids go crazy. They're killing each other. More of the violence and horror comes from how the townspeople treat each other in this movie. But 
the the Jacko character. I keep calling him Jacko. I can't remember his exact Sawtooth name, Jack. Sawtooth Jack. That's his name. Yeah. You know, there's a scene, and this isn't a spoiler. It's just one kill. There's a scene that shows him from a distance. He opens up a cellar door, these French doors to a cellar, and it shows him from the back walking down, and it looks amazing as he walks down there, and blood just shoots out, kind of like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street out of the bed. Just a, a fury of blood, like the shining out of the elevator. And there's so many good shots in this movie. It's so well done. It looks amazing. A lot of tension, a lot of storyline between the characters in the town. And I just really like Dark Harvest. It snuck up on me, and I thought it was a really good movie. Cool. Yeah. Yep. We touched on this one, what, a couple months ago? Yeah, we got a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We got a chance to see a screener of it, and right before it came out. And I, you know, Brian, you're right. It does look great. And I think we, we all enjoyed it there. For me, I had read the book, which is, is a thin little book, but it was so evocative that I had a hard time separating the movie, which is everything the same uh, from the book. But Brian, you're absolutely right. For people that are listening to this and they haven't seen it, the movie does detour from what you're expecting in terms of like a slasher. There's a lot of elements of like a Ray Bradbury or a Tales from the Crypt sort of vibe to the story, to the story. And it even verges on like science fiction, you know, that there is an element of the the dystopia sort of thing, or like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. There's elements of that in the underneath of this movie that are pretty, pretty neat that that they would need to include, but they did. Yeah, it had a great underlying storyline between the characters in this town, the lore. It's dark. There it's it's violent. It. I almost thought going in the movie is just going to be like a scary stories to tell in the dark. Maybe like a, almost like a gateway horror. No, this isn't like, it's dark. It has some horrific elements to this movie. I highly suggest anybody go out and see it. It's worth a watch for sure. Good design on that central character, that Sawtooth Jack you're talking about too. Yeah. He's creepy. No doubt. Okay. So Trey, you're number seven. Yeah, my number seven, which was is one that um, came out earlier in the year and just stuck with me and stuck on this list, and that is Influencer. Uh, Brian, I think you mentioned this earlier on, but I just really like this one. I, You know, the social media influencer stuff is hit or miss, I feel like, in horror films. Sometimes it's done really well, uh, sometimes not so well, but I think it was really done really well here, and I think there's a real-life situational horror here. It's not something too far-fetched to think of and uh, really gets into how social media affects us and and i don't think in a heavy-handed way i just thought it was a a fun little ride and yeah i really enjoyed influencer trey i love this movie i thought it was fantastic i i for some reason i thought it was last year because like you said we saw this very early on in the year yes maybe that it could have contended in my top 10 so that's my fault that i i thought it was earlier in the year and that that lead character that I had mentioned earlier from It's a Wonderful Knife, she's really good in the movie. This movie takes a lot of twists and turns and yep. kind of shows a different way of social media, not in the way that these movies kind of play out always. So it was a really fun one. Yeah, I'm glad you got a chance to talk about it then, Brian, uh, since it slipped your list. Very cool. Yeah, I like this one a lot. It was very twisty, turny. That central performance there that we're talking about is 
really good good in a lot of ways that you don't notice like right off the bat but i thought uh definitely gave the movie a dimension beyond just the tension because there's a point when it's twisting and turning back and forth and it'd be easy to lose you in those moments and i think because of the 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 central characters that it does and particularly that one performance okay victor how about your number seven yeah number seven well you guys know i'm a big fan of edgar Allan poe and in january netflix released the pale blue eye which is uh, well, the summary is uh, a world-weary detective is hired to investigate the murder of a West Point cadet. Uh, but what they don't tell you is that the world-weary world detective is played by Christian Bale. And the help that he gets from within the cadet's school is by a young cadet named Edgar Allan Poe. And um, these two guys play these characters very, very well. Um, it's a period piece, and uh, I, I know this is a horror podcast, so uh, I would say that there are horror elements in there, uh, but they're pretty strong. And there are, it's mostly a thriller, like a whodunit type thriller, but it's so creepy and atmospheric. Uh, and the fact that it's, it's mostly done by candlelight makes it, it enhances it more as sort of a ghost story almost. But anyway, I really, really like this. Yeah, highly recommend it. Yeah, this is a good one. I, I like it a lot too. And I think that I had forgotten actually that it, because it was at the very beginning of last year and the tone and the atmosphere are almost what I like. You, you talk about wanting to feel cold and, and the damp and the, like the chill. And that kind of gothic feel, that it's all there. And that actor playing Poe, it took me a little bit to realize that he's the same actor who played, uh, you know, Dudley Dursley in the Harry Potter films. You know, oh, his, really? <laughs> his obnoxious, his obnoxious little uh, cousin. You know, uh, and he he's 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 slimmed down quite a bit, and he's also he's got uh, he's got some chops on him too. So, huh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't. You know, this movie's on my watch list. I, I wanted to see it, but I wasn't sure if it was quite enough horror, kind of like you had mentioned. But I was really intrigued because I believe the guy that made this made Antlers, which was in my top ten from the year prior. I was a big fan of the of Antlers, so I I, I need to watch this one. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, if memory serves, a little on the long side, uh, but I think it's worth it. You know, it's uh, well. I got the running time right here. It's uh, and you can't go wrong with Christian Bale. I mean, he's great in everything he does. So yeah, he has a couple of really good scenes in this. Yeah, it's a little over two hours long. And I mean, frankly, I mean, I have ADHD. I but it it does feel that way. It feels like it's yeah. I, I it feels like a short story sort of expanded and just a little bit beyond where it should be. You know, right. But it's still it's still worth seeing for sure. Yes. Uh, okay, so my number seven is a is another film that if you were to couple it with my number eight film of uh, Birth Rebirth, looks at motherhood and those things from a slightly different angle. There, you're looking at it from a more scientific angle of what can we do to change this and this is more of the new mother and there's that potential for this excitement there's helplessness there's fear and this is Husara the bone woman 
it you know it, in on a letterbox it lists as 2022 but for i believe in the states it was released here in the spring i think trey february i believe february okay so it's again close to the spring so february but this is directed by michelle garza Cervera, and it is to me it starts as a very basic horror uh, i'll read what letterbox says because i don't want to get too into the weeds on the plot uh, valeria's joy of becoming a first-time mother is quickly taken away when she's cursed by a sinister entity and really i'm just gonna leave it at that line the next line you know starts to go into the plot more than i'd like to but this again starts very slowly it begins to gather with the dread and the sort of things feelings and things left unsaid lurking at the kind of frame and then as we start to get into the supernatural usually this is where these movies lose me because we've seen so many of the undefined entity that has a mythical background and that slowly the cursed person realizes that all of their trouble and misfortune are generated by this thing and that does happen here but i think what lifts this movie a little bit above the others is a couple things one is the direction i think the direction when it matters is very tight while still allowing feelings to linger i think this is ultimately an existential horror movie about uh, a woman struggling with the idea of being a mother and with motherhood in general there are some creepy notes and and sort of paranoid thoughts that come up in this film that aren't necessarily that different from the paranoid weird thoughts that come up in a movie like a racer head albeit in a totally different setting and a totally different style but i started to feel some anxiety in this film i do not like it when a movie uses children sort of to kind of drum up false tension if you will or false fear that something's going to happen to the child but as you might have heard on the the hundredth or not hundredth, excuse me, on the tenth anniversary episode, I talked about uh, my feelings for the Babadook and how much that movie affected me. When it's done right, when it's done and it taps into the fear and it plays fair, I think a movie like this can be very effective. It makes us think about our own reactions to things and our own thoughts about things, and and how we view certain things. And I think in that regard. Uh, if you're looking for a movie that's smart about being a parent, smarting about motherhood, and smart about just the whole idea of what it takes to commit to raising a person and all the fears that come with that, this is a pretty good movie. And I think it works as a horror film, too. So, Hugh Sarah the Bone Woman is my number six. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, Nathan, I agree. It's it's very chilling. And the spot that you're mentioning, the scene you're mentioning, um, i can't remember i think i heard either john carpenter or uh, george romero say there's a certain point you can take an audience um to before you lose them and i think they rode that line yes and they all they almost lost me but they they didn't quite i won't get it anymore but i really love this one i and this was a big year for pregnancy horror i feel like mm-hmm. um or in just dealing with children in general even if it's not the main theme i feel like there was a lot of that uh, this year but yeah, I thought Husser did it very well. Great little Mexican film, and I really appreciated it. And it's my number six. Very cool. Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot as well. It didn't quite make my top ten, but uh, I really appreciated. Uh, I know 
I, I think Trey, you may have mentioned this and, and, uh, that's why I watched it earlier in the year. And uh, I thought it was very rewarding. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, uh, totally different setting than what I was used to, which is the idea of enjoying foreign films, but yeah, recommend it. Yeah. And I, I, I do think Trey, you were the one that recommended this one to me as well and was very pleasantly surprised by it. Brian, how about your number six? Well, guys, this is where we get in the heavy hitters. A <laughs> movie that I just watched today for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it shot to my number six right away. And I think on a rewatch could even shoot to my top three. Cause it's a movie that after you watch it, you sit back and you think I got to process. I need a week to process this. <laughs> and that's, that's Ari Aster's Bo is afraid. Yes. <laughs> I mean, when I went into this movie, I, I didn't, I don't watch trailers. I don't watch anything. I thought, okay, this is going to be Joaquin Phoenix descent into madness like Christmas evil, maybe he snaps and kills everybody. That's not what this is. This is a character study on somebody who has anxiety, maybe schizophrenia, some type of, you know, obviously disorder, and everything around him, how he processes his surroundings, his guilt, everything that happens to him is a journey. And I think you guys talked about this once before. It's almost a movie of a series of vignettes, I think one of you said. And that describes it perfectly. And, you know, it's a three-hour movie, and an hour and a half in, I'm still like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) But by the end of it, you're like, I just sat back in my chair, and I'm like, I'm just stunned. I'm like, is this a masterpiece? I think it is. I need to watch it again. I need to, like I said, process this. You know, I'm only coming off like six hours ago seeing this movie, and that's all I've thought about all day is, this movie is amazing. I mean, Ari Aster, to me, is a fantastic director. You know, Hereditary, I mean, it's a 9.5. Midsummer, in my opinion, was a little bit of a step down, but then he came right back with Bo is Afraid. I can't wait to see what this guy does next. You know, he has a real eye for cinema, cinematography, storytelling, just the weirdness of this movie. The performance by Joaquin Phoenix is incredible. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix in this movie... Today, after right after this movie ended, I looked up who are the favorites for Oscar nominations as a lead actor. He wasn't on the list. I'm thinking, this guy better go on the list. He really should. I mean, he deserves it. Just a fantastic movie from the first minute to the final crazy minute of this movie. That's my number six, Bo's Afraid. And like I said, it, after I process it more, it, may, it could move up even farther on my list. It really could. Yeah, uh, I, I get it. I uh, I didn't like it quite as much as you did, but uh, I I really love uh, Ari Aster's work, and um, yeah, I totally agree with you, Brian. That the Joaquin Phoenix gave such a performance in this movie. Like it's the type of performance where you know the actor aged a couple of years just given the yeah. performance. <laughs> like uh, like Tony Collette in Hereditary. I you know, she wasn't on the Oscar list either. So And she should have been. She should have been for that. She should have been, yeah. And and yeah, he definitely should be for this. Um but I think that the the first act is an absolute masterpiece of this movie. Uh, again, you guys know I don't like super long movies, and this was really hard for me to get through. And uh, 
I know we we don't spoil stuff on this show, but let's just say I was very disappointed by the ending. <laughs> See, I thought the third act brought it back home. It kind of a little bit brought it back to reality because that second act went really fantastical. And yeah. where I was like, what is going on here? But then in the third act, kind of brought it back together like, okay, I get it now. I get it. Now the final scene, I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> what did, okay, I don't want to spoil anything here, but I, I thought the f- third act brought it together. Mm-hmm. I, I really I really did. But I could see why people may look at this movie, and I'm just going to tell you this now. My wife was watching with me 20 minutes, and she's like, I'm out. She she didn't even finish it with me, but I, I stood I hung in there and I just love this movie I really did. It's it's so funny you know uh, I totally don't blame your wife for ducking out uh, and I totally don't blame you for having this so high on your list I I get both points of view there's definitely stuff to absolutely love about this movie and for me there was also stuff to hate so yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's great. I mean, I think that's that's the job of of a cutting edge director is to create controversy in what they choose to do as projects. And uh, it really seems from this movie that A24 just said, Mr. Astor, do whatever you want and we'll pay for it. And um, I it's a unique, (laughs) unique movie. Great, uh, unreliable narrator narrative. uh, And um, yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like Scorsese with that Flowers of the Moon three-and-a-half-hour movie. Some of these guys get the full reign from the studio. Hey, we're not going to overlook it. We're not going to edit it. We trust in your vision. And that's what they gave Ari Aster full control here, and he did what he has always wanted to do for 10 years now after his short, his bow short or whatever a long time ago. Right. And he brought, brought that to vision, and I, I was a fan. I was a fan. Man, I'm happy to see you have this on the on the list, Brian, and to have it this high after just seeing it. Because I, and you can hear Jackson and I talk about it a few episodes back, and I had not fully processed the movie. It's a challenging movie. Uh, I, I know people throw that term around a lot of times. I usually don't use challenging to describe too many movies uh, unless they're challenged to sit through because, you know, they're just not good. But it is challenging because to me, this is like panic attack the movie. Like... It's uh, it is long. It is unrelenting, and it bangs on the same note for a very long time. In it, albeit in a lot of different ways. And the first time I saw it, it really like I had no idea what to make of it. You can hear me trying to slowly digest what's happening. You know what I mean? Uh, to slowly digest what's actually going on in the film. You can hear that happening as Jackson and I are talking about it. And I think we even say, "Hey, I, I'm gonna have to see this again." I have seen it again, and I do think that the movie starts to take a certain shape on a second viewing, but I had to really convince myself to have that second viewing because the movie kind of wore me out <laughs> in a way that doesn't always happen. I do think there is something there, though, uh, with this one. But, uh, yeah, good pick. Thank you. It was it was a very bold movie. Trey, did you see it? No, unfortunately, I've only seen about an hour of it. I think I told Nathan, um, I don't know if I've got to be in the right mood, but I was. It was stressing me out. I was having a bit of a panic attack myself, so um, I was right on the verge there. So I I had to turn this one off because it was affecting me a little too much, which I think is a credit to the director, honestly. But yeah, I might I might have to be in the right mood for that one. But I think I've tried a couple times now and it's just uh, 
rough to get through and not in a sense that the movie's bad. It's just hard yeah, for there, me to get through. Yeah, totally understand that, Trey. There, there are some sequences in the first act that are right out of a nightmare. Like, it's just so... Yeah, and insane. I have that nightmare. I have some of those nightmares over and over again. Oh so. yeah, I'm sure a lot of it, a lot of people who watch the movie do, and I think that that's intentional. I think that that's uh, that's part of the ride that uh, Esther wants to take us on. But yeah, um, yeah, very cool. So, all right, your number six tray is Hussara the Bone Woman, right? Yep. So that Victor, your number six is. Oh, uh, yeah, Brooklyn 45. Ooh, good choice. Yeah, it's a micro-budget movie that is um, sort of a ghost story, and it's also a very revealing narrative about what happens to the human mind in times of war, especially after war. And uh, I thought it was an absolutely brilliant script. It uh, it's, takes place in 1945, like the title says, and um, it's just a, a group of friends that get together in this Brooklyn brownstone to uh, support one of their members um, who quickly tells them that his wife has died and can they please agree to a seance so we can contact her. And uh, it goes from there and there's some really interesting twists and I really, really dug it. It's basically a play like, you know, it's it's one room, maybe a, a couple of exterior establishing shots to set the place. But yeah, it's a it's a post-World War Two narrative. Uh, and um, man, it I, it was riveting to me. I just I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. I love the twists. I love the performances. Uh, I mean, Larry Fassenden is in it. Uh, one of my favorite indie personalities director and actor of many talents and um yeah i i loved it did, did you guys see this yeah i did and if i'm not mistaken i because i saw it in the summer or over the summer this as of right now to pull the curtain back we're recording this on december 26th i think the movie takes place on december 26th Oh yeah, like a day or so, like after Christmas, I believe. But yeah, I liked it a lot. It has a lot of great interplay. It really has that stage play sort of feel to it. But there's a there's a great element of like here's what's going on on the supernatural level, which is interesting. But what's going on at a more like metaphorical, like what each of these people represents, sort of way. I really liked the way that was dovetailed into the narrative. Yeah, Victor, great pick. One location setting, all within basically one room. A great cast. Larry Fassner, amazing, as always. Brooklyn 45 was a great movie. Everybody should go watch it. Like Victor said, a period piece set in 1945. So right the tail end of World War II. And mm -hmm. a couple of them, I think the guy was a decorated you know, general in the war. And that's kind of a little bit of a speaking point in the movie is about who these characters it's kind of a character study within that room as well. Mm -hmm. And Brooklyn four five, everybody should go out and watch. I think it's on shutter. If I remember, that's where I saw it. Yeah. That's where I saw it too. Yeah. Great, great pick Victor. Thanks man. Yep. I liked it as well. thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. Good choice. My number six, I suspect uh, is probably higher on a lot of other lists, but this is where 
like you're saying, uh, Brian, this is when the heavy hitters come in for me. This is where you jump up into a range of like, okay, these are, in my opinion, some really good horror movies. And this is uh, Damien Rugna's When Evil Lurks from this year. And I know that it uh, it had had a showing a few times before it was released here. So I'd heard a little bit of buzz about it. But when I finally got around to seeing it, wow, this is a movie that delivers darkness and gore and some things. And honestly, I was sitting there watching the movie thinking, well, I'm not going to see that. I know at least that. Nope, never mind. There it is. And it's happening. And it's still happening. And set against this, you know, it takes place in this small town. There's this supernatural festering, if you will, that's almost about to break out into like a contamination. And then what's interesting, I think what works about this, this director, and it was on display in the satanic Hispanic segment. It's on display in terrified is he has a great sense of building mundanity, what it is to just be in your, in your regular everyday life and things, you know, are going about just as you planned. And then suddenly, boom, he will just like throw the supernatural in this case, like a ball of like crap against your windshield, you know, just like <laughs> wham, he slide slaps you right in the face with it. And you're just taken aback. And it's because we feel there's these characters that are brought in to deal with this supernatural menace. And, you know, instead of it being this big vaunted sort of like you're watching the exorcists and ex, you know, the exorcist, these guys are just tired. They are tired. They don't like doing this work They're You know, there's a bureau bureaucratic element to the fact that it wasn't dealt with timely. And now they just got to clean up a mess like that, that mundane day-to-day blue collar stuff that they deal with. Against such frightening and horrific imagery is really, it's it, it creates such a like almost divisive feeling within you watching it. I mean, it, it, there are moments when this movie goes beyond oh that's some fun gore to like this you know is really intense. It's an experience again. It kind of wore me out. I don't know how many times I want to have that experience, but if horror movies are meant to horrify you, then when Evil Lurks succeeded, and not just with the shock of its imagery. It's the way the entire movie is put together that does that. I totally agree. And that is also on my top 10 list, a little further down. So thanks. Yeah, I think that Nathan speaks for both of us. Yeah, good pick. Okay, so Brian, now we're moving into the top five. What's your number five? Well, here we go with my number five. It's Hell House. Ooh. Colon origins colon the Carmichael Manor colon <laughs> the part four colon you forgot an LLC in there LLC <laughs> colon directed by directed by Steve Cognetti who did all four of the Hell House movies and I think he had a home run with his fourth one how often and maybe I'm the minority here I don't know but how often does a part four top the first three well for me this was it and I really like part one. Part two was good. Part three was good. But then part four was great. I, I like how it tied into the lore of the first three. And when you hear the word origins, you think, is this a prequel? But it wasn't really a prequel. It was more no. of a it was more of a prequel to the lore. But it I believe it took place after the events of Hell House. So am I right in saying that? I think I remember that right. And those clowns were stored in the closet in this Carmichael Manor, which were so creepy, as creepy as that first Hell House movie. I think this movie did it 
like the first one, as good as ever, with the scares. But what I liked about this was, in the other ones, they were in like a, you know, I guess like a haunted house setting. This one was an isolated, and that comes into play when a couple, you know, one the characters try to leave the place and they just can't. They're in an isolated place 30 miles off the beaten path. So you have this really feel of isolation. There's a point where they're like, I'm not staying in this house. They go sit in their car, and that's still not even good enough to get that far away. And this movie delivered a lot of scares for me. And movies don't scare me often, but this one did. You know, I turned the lights off. I watched it. This movie had a lot of scares to it and really built upon the lore of the first Hell House movie. And and the things they uncover in, like, the antique shop, things that tie back to the first three movies, I think it was just really well done by uh, Stephen Cognetti. I think he tied it together with a bow in this one with Origins. And it's my number five, and it could even be higher. There's, there's other movies I like better, but, man, this one, this one just really got me this year. In, in fact, it's probably the movie that, that scared me. The one movie that scared me this year was Hell House Origins. What do you guys think of it? Wow, you know, Brian, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I've only seen the first one, but I'm very much looking forward to this now. And you could probably, you could skip part two and three and just go straight to this. And it yeah, wouldn't, you really it, could. Yeah. It wouldn't spoil anything from two and three. As long as you see that first one and kind of know the lore of those clowns in the, in the original Hell House, that's all you really need to see. Just go straight to this one to watch it. Cool. It's a, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Hell House series. In fact, I usually watch it about every other Halloween, the complete trilogy now. And I'm going to have to see this one again uh, to see where it stacks up, because so far I don't think it is as good as the first, in my opinion. But again, I've seen that one several times. I will second that it did scare me, and I really did enjoy it just as much as some of the other ones. But yeah, yeah, that's a good pick, Brian. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this too, and it does work at exactly the level it's supposed to. I didn't care much for the second and third movies, honestly, in the in the series. And there's a sense when this movie starts that we're just going to sort of get the basic plot dragged out, but it doesn't go that way. It really is, you know, you're there in the moment, and they're trying to freak you out. It's mostly of the jump scare or slowly mounting dread you know it's that's the the mechanism of the scares in this movie but they do work and i i am kind of like you brian i think i like this one the best out of the series i think it's the one that's most overall effective to me moment to moment yay i like to hear that so your number five trey yeah, I think this is where we start stepping on toes or whatever <laughs> Brandon's into. <laughs> but my number five is Infinity Pool. And this is one that I, you know, I didn't know going in because Possessor I really liked, but that is such a a cold and strange movie. <laughs> and while I like it, and I think Infinity Pool is much the same to me. Um, I like both of those films, but it's like I really shouldn't. And this is just a cool sci-fi premise. Honestly, um, for my money, I think this is uh, maybe Mia Goth's best performance or the one that I enjoyed her the most in. 
but I just like this movie from from start to finish. I was just glued to the screen thinking about what's going to happen next and where are they going to take this and where are they going to go? And I think it ends, you know, in such a place where it's just it's not satisfying at all. But uh, I found myself just constantly thinking about this film. So, yeah, that is my number five is Infinity Pool. Yeah, it's uh, it's on my list. It's a little further down. <laughs> I um, had a feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, and I, yeah, the coldness of the movie. That's yes, that's definitely an aspect. Uh, the chilly Cronenberg uh, aspect, um, and his first movie, Antiviral, even more so. I think like it, the characters are almost uh, machine-like, but. Uh, man, I loved Possessor for the ideas in it. I think that we are, if not secretly already at that point of corporate espionage uh, yeah, yeah, or right around the corner. Um, but uh, yeah, Infinity Pool. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he wrote the script earlier than Possessor because uh, it seems like it's a... Um, it's a writer's block movie. You know, if you're, if you, if you're, you have a success as a writer or an artist and trying to follow that up with something at least as good can be a huge amount of pressure for somebody to get in that creative space and pull that out of them again. And essentially what you have to do as a creator is not, I mean, you have to kill yourself. So, so to speak, not, not, commit suicide, but figuratively kill yourself. You have to take yourself down to the studs and then rebuild yourself as a creative person. That's how, that's how the creative process works. And this movie is a perfect metaphor for that, for how James goes through that journey. And um, I, I, I actually thought that the end was a little uh, positive in that he yeah. made that journey and survived. And I think a, a lot of artists don't. So uh, I... I was very moved by it. And on a literal level, like if you're just watching the movie as I think it's a really cool concept that I'd never heard of or seen before. And um, man, it's one of the only times in my life where I didn't feel safe about what he was going to show me next. Like uh, it was just like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 74 Mm -hmm. one. When I saw that the first time I was like, I don't know if I should be seeing this. With uh, Infinity Pool, it was a little dialed down. Like, I never felt like I, maybe I should get up and leave. But I was like, whoa, I can't believe that scene is in the movie. Like, th- that made it into an R-rated movie. But you have to see it to know what I'm talking about. But, uh, yeah, I loved it. And Mia Goth is on screen for almost every one of those moments you just yes. mentioned. <laughs> yes. Her eyebrows uh. aren't. Yeah, this no. one will. This one will fall. I'll speak to it now then too, because like Victor said, it's lower down on my list as well. And you you mentioned the pressure that he had coming up with the movie. Talk about the pressure of having David Cronenberg as his dad. He probably feels mm-hmm. a lot of pressure, you know, following in his father's footsteps. And he hit a home run with this movie. It was such an original concept. It may have been something he did write a long time ago, like you had mentioned. And finally brought it to the screen and what an original idea that is. And it makes you think about things too. Like, is he who he is? Is he not who he is? Is, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but it, it, it begs a lot of questions about, you know, his reincarnation. There are so much shocking moments in this movie. Mia Goth 
amazing in this. She was great in X and Pearl. And then I think me and Nathan had talked about before the scene where she's on the hood of the car with the gun, just taunting him. There's no way I haven't talked about that scene with. I mean, so <laughs> so creepy, such an iconic scene. What an amazing movie. So I'll just speak on it now. It's lower on my list, but Infinity Pool is almost a masterpiece to me. Yeah, you talk about the pressure being David Cronenberg's son, man. David might need to feel some pressure now because, I mean, Infinity Pool's pretty good. He's getting he's getting into, like, Cronenberg-level quality, you know. I, I did, last year, my list did have Crimes of the Future on it, but, you know, I, I think Infinity Pool tackles some similar subject matter in, for me, an even more visceral way. And does it better, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And and by the way, yeah, Crimes of the Future was on my list too last year. Yeah. Infinity Pool rocks. Victor, your number five. It's Godzilla minus one. Yeah. Um, in the same year that, uh, man, Hollywood produced some bloated supposed blockbusters like <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, <laughs> Takashi Yamazaki decided to make a Godzilla movie uh, for $15.15 million. And it's amazing. And if you um, hear him on like, like the, his responses on like Twitter and stuff, he's like, I wish it was that much. That's what he said. <laughs> right. He's like, well, we're going to, we're going to have to need some of this money for marketing. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, no, apparently he has a special effects background. Um, I didn't think all the CG was, spot on but and weirdly i think the the cg that you see with godzilla in the first act was the weakest and then it it just gets better and better and better but you know when godzilla hits land man it looks great and um that dramatic battle at the end is amazing it's it's my favorite godzilla movie since the first godzilla movie and i think i gave him the exact same rating so uh congratulations to yamazaki-san uh well done yeah, man, we're living. You're living in a time when there's a Godzilla TV show that isn't awful on on streaming right now. You've got another wild looking, as crazy as any of those '70s era Godzilla movies coming up, and Godzilla and Kong and whoever else is going to be in that one. And then you have this movie. I mean, I'll be talking about this later. So my number five is a movie that Brian already mentioned, and that is the. Philip, who's talked to me, man, another one that took what could be in explaining the plot, very conventional and by the numbers and made it very terrifying and, and riveting. And again, I really appreciate when a horror movie shows you something visceral and buys you completely into its supernatural world, but it's also commenting on something else at the same time. And that element of what it has to say about addiction and, and sort of, uh, tipping your toes into things that that are a thrill at the start and then a drag on you later like they really do that without it being a preachy and just making it a very effective scary horror movie this is one that really there were scenes in there that that the tension was high but i was really concerned for the characters in in, in that scenario it wasn't just oh, I'm feeling uneasy, what's going to happen next? It was real concern for the people in this film. So there's a credit to that in how well they're created. And then this universe that they're put through, I mean, it's intense. 
So that's my number five. Brian, what's your number four? My number four, Trey, Nathan, and Victor, is Totally Killer. Totally Killer caught me by surprise this year. You know I'm a slasher fan, and I said that on my number 10, Wonderful Knife, that I love slashers that deal with time travel type segment, you know, stuff like Final Girls or, um, you know, the Fear Street trilogy where it shows different sectors of a time period or, you know, Happy Death Day. I just love these type of movies where a slasher movie goes into time travel elements. And like I said about Lulu Wilson, I'm going to say it about this actress, Kiernan Shipka, playing the lead role here. She was fantastic in this movie as she goes back in time to solve the mystery of the murders. And they really did it well in this movie. You have to suspend some disbelief, of course, on how the killers go back in time. You know, a high school girl builds a time machine. (laughs) But it kind of came together well. I love the storyline where she meets her mother when she's younger. And her mother's a bully when you go back to 1987, I think was the year. And the, the girl that she became friends with that made the time machine was really, really fun friendship. And it was almost like a mean girls aspect where when she went back, her mom and the friends were just bullies to everybody, but it turned it around, had a happy feel good ending. This lead actress really carried the movie, had a lot of good jokes, a good slasher movie, a good reveal with the killer, I think, and a good payoff in the end and a heartwarming ending. So totally killer. Did any of you guys like this one? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Brian um, didn't make my list, but Kiernan Shipka was incredible. As you said, I thought it was, I thought it, you know, it could have gone a lot of different ways with the humor and who it was making fun of, but I think it kind of made fun of almost everybody. And I <laughs> appreciated that about the film and um, seeing those worlds collide is great as somebody in the middle of those worlds, not having anything to do with either one of them. Oh, Trey, I'm so glad you like this, Trey, because, yep. yeah, it was, just, it was just a really fun movie. It was just yeah, fun. Yeah, it was. Yep. It is fun, and I agree everything you said about Kiernan Shipka. She really sells it. She makes it, like, plausible in a way that a lot of it's not. And like you said, it's like it's almost silly to go the, the time machine route when they could have picked, like, a magical realism because then it's like, yeah, you – you're not even supposed to question these kids just built a time machine and are like so nonchalant about it, given everything yeah. else. That's why I said you have to suspend disbelief. Yeah. It was like at a craft fair. At a craft fair, she makes a time machine yeah. early. But, yeah. but and they're able to fix it and repair it and everything else. And yeah. <laughs> at least yes. they point out that Doc Brown has to get a hold of some, you know, weapons grade plutonium to do anything. Did did you guys think, you know, the killer in this movie wears a, a mask to conceal their identity? And um, did you guys think that the mask resembled Max Headroom or Billy Idol more? I thought it was Max Headroom is what I thought it was supposed to be. But yeah, yeah, yeah I see the Max Headroom look big time with the slick back blonde hair and the robotic yeah. face to him. It was a unique. Yeah. It was a definitely unique I didn't ever think about it that way. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and either way, 80s icons. But Yep. Who didn't love those Max Headroom, uh, was it Pepsi com- Coke commercials? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. I think they featured it in Back to the Future, actually. So kind of a tie-in with a time travel. Yeah, that's there. true. Oh, cool. Back to the Future yeah. 2. Was that was it? Matt Frewer, right? That was the yeah. Max Headroom, yeah. And I remember the show was very ambitious. It was like ambitious. It was trying to be at like the level of like Blade Runner almost, but it, yeah. it wasn't quite there. Uh, okay, so let's see. Your number four, Trey. Yeah, my number four has already been mentioned. It is uh, by far the darkest film on my list, and probably the darkest film I've seen this year, and that is When Evil Lurks. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, I think it's an incredibly crafted film. I think the thing that keeps it from going any higher for me is just how dark and depressing and unrelenting. There's no warmth. There's no bright spot. There's no point where you feel good about anything in this film. But the world they created was so interesting and intriguing and they don't weigh you down with exposition you're kind of just thrown into it and you have to make sense of it as you go along you're not going to get all the answers you want but yeah just a brutal film and it is my number four very cool trey that's my number three so i'll just talk about Ah. (laughs) what a fantastic film directed by damian ruggers or whatever i think you mentioned it earlier from argentina did terrified yeah man what a dark really dark movie this is and that's right up my alley this movie is unforgiving it's it's so demented everything that bad that can happen happens i mean that jump scare with the dog wow and then Mm. the uh just when you think somebody's safe nope they die i mean this movie Mm -hmm. this movie is depressing it's it's just a really dark depressing movie and i'm there for it man that's my number three so i'm right there with you trey i can't i can't wait to see what this guy does next i mean terrified was great and when evil lurks was even better so wow what's this guy gonna do next satanic hispanics yeah there you go you haven't seen that yet (laughs) yeah get it yeah you should check that one out brian I, I need yeah. to. Uh, yeah, I need to. I heard you guys talk about it a couple episodes ago, and I do need to watch that. You're right. Yeah, he he did the segment called I Also Saw It. Yeah. It's, I'll try and it's, it's, yeah, it's the creepiest segment in the whole movie in terms of horror. It's yeah. the one, in my opinion, with the most horror in it. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, he doesn't make happy movies. Let's put it that <laughs> right. way. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it, that segment kind of reminded me of Aterrados or... Um, Terrified, yeah, it's uh, more like terrified than than, yeah, yeah. than evil lurks. Yeah, it's just super creepy. Uh, terrified is a super creepy movie, um, but yeah, uh, it's it's also my number four uh, when evil lurks. So oh, there you go. nice, wow, we're all bunched up there. We're all yep. there. I love it. <laughs> that might be the one movie we all agree on the most. There, great. Yeah, I was at number six, so we're yeah, yeah. We've got so a... there, there you go. We're all right there. Yeah, so, well, my number four is not When Evil Lurks. Uh, This is, though, it's a very visual movie. It's a very odd movie. It's a movie that, Trey, I believe it was you, told me about it, and it didn't quite register with me. I thought, okay, I looked it up. I thought, all right, and I probably forgot about it, but you are right in suspecting that it is very much a Nathan movie, if you will, and there will be probably a limit to how much everybody once they see it uh loves this movie but 
it drew me in. It did for me what I want movies to do, uh, which is use all those elements, the visual elements, the RL elements, and to tell a story that can be done in almost like no other medium. And this movie is called Moon Garden. It's directed by Ryan Stevens Harris. It is very much a sort of surrealistic dream trip, which we had a few of those this year. This one definitely leans into the dream aspect, leans into the abstractness. And it's interesting because it is done all within the mind of a five-year-old child who's in a coma and is making her way through these almost, it's a mix between the Terry Gilliam and David Lynchian sort of like industrial nightmare scape. I don't know if that's accurate, Trey, but it feels like if you took elements of like Pan's Labyrinth and mixed them together with Mad God and two or three other kinds of things and just got this very strange, visceral, and yet dreamlike experience that is kind of dealing with the emotions a child might feel when they are confronted with uh, things they don't understand, with fighting between parents, uh, when tension arises in the family due to other things, and watching a child's mind uh, process all these things in a nightmarish way it's really interesting because a lot of times I find these movies fall apart for me. They start out with some great visuals and then they get into sort of uh, what I like to call the, let's see how, uh, how good a music video I can make for 90 minutes. And yes, exactly. a movie like Tarsim sings, the cell comes to mind. A movie I thought started brilliantly and a great idea. And then after a while I felt like I was just being thrown a lot of random images that would look really good in someone's portfolio later on. And I think that Moon Garden has those. Uh, and if you were to glance at the trailer, you might think, oh, this is going to be one of those very superficial films. And yet I think through the performance of the little girl here, it's still, you know, the acting is not the high mark of this film, but it's plausible. And the way that she makes her way through the dreamscape reminded me much more of a movie of, uh, of a bernard rose movie called paper house from the late 80s yeah and if yeah. you've seen paper house i think moon garden has the drama has the horror and the creepiness it's maybe a little bit more fantasy but i think it definitely qualifies as a horror film it's a nightmare ride uh i loved it it was it was emotional it was interesting it was exciting and it de never lost its way through its own dreamscape, which it, it didn't feel like a bunch of random images. It felt like a well-told fairy tale. Yeah. I'm glad you finally checked that one out because I did say, you know, this is a Nathan movie through and through. Oh, you, yeah. You had um, me tagged on that one. You were right. Yeah. On. Uh, and yeah, we've seen it a lot. Like you mentioned paper house, I think is a good point of comparison. And we've seen it a lot more recently. I feel like in recent years, people are trying to hit that mark and I really enjoyed moon garden. I didn't, know if it would be my kind of movie going in but you want to talk about music video it did feel especially first off like a music video yeah. when she first gets that in that dream world but there are some really creepy images and it's it's very unsettling and they make sense in her mind that's i think the difference they yeah. tie into the tale that's being told yeah and it captures the fears of like what a you know a little girl would think of in their mind you know children have such active imaginations and you know what they're seeing is a lot more terrifying than sometimes what we're thinking. And it does the, the dreams all play in to um, 
you know, everything that's going on, there's good use of like diegetic sound in this to get a crossover between the worlds. And I, yes. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, I thought it was a pretty solid film. That's a good point too, Trey, about the, the tie between the two worlds. Like she can hear her mother's voice on the transistor radio. And I think that's, what's different than paper house. The parents get involved in a sense in the story here. And it's almost one of the themes of the story is as a parent, you know, you're there to protect, you know, the do no harm. The thing you, as a me, as a parent, I always worry about is I don't want to do un, undo harm to someone uh, who's in my, you know, custody and my care. And that's kind of built into the plot here uh, in a, in an interesting way. Yeah. I, this is the first I hear of this, I believe. And I'm looking forward to seeing that too. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, I can't, you remember, I think I bought this one, but I think it may be, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere for free right now. I was thinking it was on Prime, but I could be mistaken. It may be on Prime now. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But it is, uh, it's highly uh, recommended by me. I really loved it. That's my number four. And Brian, your number three was When Evil Lurks, right? Yep. So we got to skip right over. Yep. I think I said all needs to be said, When Evil Lurks, my number okay. three. Okay. So your number three Trey. yeah it's when we've talked about when we did an entire segment on a previous episode and that is talk to me nice this was my number one for the longest time and i didn't think anything was going to top it but eventually it did land at my number three i think it was very simple in its premise it's not breaking the mold necessarily but i think it did what it did so well and maybe better than a lot of similar films that we've seen in previous years. And I thought the, the actors were all really good. Um, even though they were kids, you know, sometimes they were insufferable, but I feel like that's how teenagers are sometimes. So I think they did such a good job of getting that feeling and just a well-written film that really did get to me sometimes. So uh, my number three is talk to me. Yeah. Excellent choice. Very cool. Love it. Okay. And let's see. So Victor, your number three. Oh, my number three. Um, yeah, it's called Sick of Myself. And uh, it is a dark comedy with <laughs> some strong horror elements. And um, it's directed by Christopher Borgli. And uh, I think this is Norwegian. Yeah. Yeah. They're Norwegian, Mac. And... Uh, <laughs> It's fantastic. I've never really seen, I mean, everybody knows, you know, that you, you have to look out for narcissistic personalities. Um, and usually these are like, at least the ones I look out for are like the megalomaniacal ones that are like promise you the world. And, you know, they're, they're like almost psychotic in the way they see the world. But most likely I think I will run into narcissists like these that are the two, there are these, this man and woman, the young man and woman that are living together in this movie. And they are both kind of low key at the beginning of the movie, but the man has uh, a success in the art world and he starts becoming famous. And this triggers uh, the, the woman to take it upon herself to get attention, to rival the boyfriend's uh, rising attention in the art world. And she decides to go about that by researching 
drugs that um, have been linked to a horrific skin disease, and she starts abusing that drug. The results are memorable, but uh, yeah, it's I, I I sense a lot of the same sense of humor in this movie that that uh, my favorite Scorsese movie After Hours. There's uh, <laughs> you know yeah. there's even a like a montage a, a, like you know characters are afraid of certain types of illnesses and there's a, a very similar montage to what Paul goes through in After Hours when he sees that burn victim folder. <laughs> even the weird element of how the sculptures are made out of like furniture that they steal. Like yes. it, it just feels like he would run into these people at some point. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a cautionary tale, but uh, it's really, really fresh and original. And uh, yeah, we were talking about social media earlier, maybe before we hit record. And I think this movie plays into that very nicely, but yeah, highly recommended. I think I had to rent it, but it wasn't very expensive. Yeah, no. It's a really good one. I, for some reason, I guess my my sense of humor is so dark and messed up <laughs> that I just took it a hundred percent comedy and didn't even mm. think of it being a horror. But it pretty much is, and it's um, it had it is very much like that after hours where it's like it's so straight laser focused right down the middle of like of just eviscerating these people in a sense, and yet you still feel a certain amount of sympathy for them as you know as yeah. this world is crashing down in their heads, these people bring a lot more of it on themselves that, you know, uh, Griffin Dunn's character just was like overwhelmed. <laughs> All he did was leave his house. He made the mistake yes. of trying to have a fun Friday night. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. after ever is more of a stranger in a strange land narrative. Yeah. This is more of like a just strange land narrative. Like, right. This these is, are, this the is how the works. natives live. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one though. I, I did like it. Okay, so my number three is, uh, and it, it, part of this is just giving it credit in, in my mind for where I ultimately ended up with it, but it number three for me is Bo is Afraid. And it took me, it took a second viewing and really kind of thinking about it. But for me, I think the thing is, Victor, I, I know what you're saying. The first hour or so does feel almost like this masterpiece of, but if I think if it had maintained itself at that level, I might have had an actual like panic attack, like a real one, uh, because uh, it really touched on very rarely have I seen a movie where because I have dealt with anxiety and, you know, anxiety that's so prevalent that, you know, you're still like grinding your teeth while you sleep and you're not even aware of, of how on edge you are. Sometimes this movie did every like every feeling in vibe it made me realize that hey you know the anxiety that i have isn't nearly as bad as this but i recognize <laughs> the feeling and for it to go the places it did and so the second half which is crazy and kind of a mess on one level it really feels like the length of it and how it becomes sort of punishing like as you get towards the end from a conventional sense the first time i watched it i thought man this movie makes so many like narrative missteps towards the end and now as I look back on it, I feel like he is very much, he's so keyed into that experience of a certain kind of anxiety and a certain kind of experience that people feel that it is just all consuming. It almost doesn't make sense at a point. And it is like whiplash. He captures it in a way that's almost cathartic. Like after I finally sort of felt it, I was like, oh, it's like, it doesn't feel as, as dangerous. Because this movie was the one for me 
Victor, like you say, like, what am I going to see next? Is there, is there going to be a point when there's just a little too much for me? Because it was, mm. it was feeling like death by a thousand cuts of like, I've had that feeling. I've worried about that very thing. And he is visualizing the extent, like the furthest reaches of my fear about that particular element. He is, he's just, you know, there's a point when he's running through the streets and they're just on fire. People are, are like killing each other and, and things are going on. And there's this certain headspace that if you are experiencing anxiety, the idea that it doesn't have to be real for it to affect me, uh, it those things clicked in for me in a second viewing that you could hear me wrestling with when I was talking about on the podcast before. It did click. I think he's made a masterpiece of a certain kind here. I know there are going to be people that absolutely hate it. I don't know the next time when I will watch it, but I recognize that he's he's made something here. It's very singular. It's special in its way. And I'm very glad he made it, and I'm very glad I saw it, even twice. I'm so glad to hear that, Nathan, because I thought I was the only weirdo that would have it on my list. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of a fantastical movie in a way. Like It is, what's that, yeah. What's that movie like, Big Fish? Remember that movie, Big Fish? This is like the, yeah, this is it, like uh, the Big Fish for like, you know. For horror fans. and Right, people with an, crippling anxiety disorder. Yeah, and it was like. I'll just say something real fast on it was uh, it's an A24 movie and another A24 movie that it's not a horror movie, but gave me such anxiety like this was uncut gems. Oh yeah. It, it reaches. Yeah. Those levels a little bit. Yeah. It gives me that anxiety of I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm just like, man, could this go any more wrong for this guy? I'm, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brian, because in Uncut Gems, though, there is that, like, it's wow, it's tension wound so tight, but it has a clear, like, point when the pressure valve is going to go off, because at some point, you're he's either going to succeed or not succeed, right? Like, there's this yeah. clear mm-hmm. end in sight, and Aster, through the second part of that film, keeps evading that feeling of, of like release of like the tension and it becomes because for someone who's worried about everything that each, you know, each victory is just a new opening for failure to to crush me on the head. Like it's that different viewpoint that, Oh, we survived it. Yeah. It's I, I crested the hill so I could see the next awful thing rising over the next peak. And this idea that there isn't a nice clean cut ending except for one, for the kind of thing he's going through it is just a nightmare upon a nightmare and it isn't rational and i think i like it ultimately even more for that but the that that's a nice connecting point because it's helping me in my mind realize hey this movie's doing something that's a little different and i and it doesn't feel good <laughs> yeah. right but it does it also does deliver on the uh climax of the story it it does, yeah, yeah. In in it took me a little while to to realize that because I think the first time I'm like, really? But <laughs> I think uh it's it he he is continuing to show himself as a very distinctive kind of storyteller. And for as much as his films do feel of a piece, you can look at Hereditary and Midsommar and this one to see that they are all distinct movies. They are very, you know they aren't just like him banging at the same theme every time out. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, hereditary and Midsummer were quite different, but they still had the theme of a cult kind of where this movie, I'm glad it didn't go there. Cause I was like, don't make a third cult movie yeah. in your series, but you're right. All three of his movies are so distinctly different. 
like we got a horror movie, we have a folk horror movie, and now we have a. I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe Bove is Afraid. Like it's just it's just such a unique movie set on its own. I uh, yeah, I think that's part of the appeal of it. Um, is I mean. It, it really genre hops like crazy, uh, and and it, it does it successfully. It, it's funny when it's funny, and it's horrific when it's horrific, and it's mostly a drama uh, and a lot of psychological horror thrown in too. It, it's uh, it's a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, it is it is definitely that. Uh, so that is yeah, that's my number three. So number two, what's your number two, Brian? Well, we already mentioned it, and I mentioned it earlier. It's uh, Infinity Pool. It was uh, Trey's number five, right, Trey, I think? And Brandon Cronenberg hit a home run with this unique idea. And I said, already said all I had to say. Infinity Pool, a strong number two for me. I love it. It is Absolutely. Not... It, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Victor. Uh, no, yeah, I, was, I was probably going to say the exact same thing you were. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Infinity Pool is my number two. And, uh, oh, nice. Yep. Oh, and my number, number two, two as well. It is. Yep. Wow. Really? Yep. That's the, oh, that's nice. the biggest sink. Amazing. For a long time, it was number one. For a very, a very long time, all the way up until uh, early December, it was my number, my number one. Yeah. The, we, I don't know if we've mentioned the premise of this movie in this episode, but, um, it, James and his wife are on vacation in this foreign country with a rather draconian law against manslaughter. And um, James accidentally runs somebody over and gets immediately thrown in jail where he's informed that he will receive the death penalty. However, the catch is (laughs) in this near future world, if you have enough money you can create a clone duplicate of yourself that has exactly the same memories as you. And that clone can die in your stead. So we have a scenario where James is watching his own execution and it just gets crazier from there. And that, that seems so creepy because it freaks you out because you think he's getting killed and it pans over to him in the bleachers laughing like, ha ha, I cheated the system, but did did he cheat the system? We we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it, this movie's so deep. It, it it provokes so much thought in this movie. It makes you question so many things that are going on, and and it, it almost begs the question of like, in in these I don't even remember what country it was set in. I don't want to disparage any smaller countries, but you know countries like this where you could pay off a government. Not that you can't in our country, but I mean you pay off the government and money money talks, but does it talk? Is it his own nightmare? Is he trapped there? There's so many questions in this movie. It's just a fantastic movie that makes you think. And I think one of the things that Brandon Cronenberg has going on, and and he's proving now, like three movies in, that he's got at least as strong as his father, and and he may even be able to to surpass that eventually. I think what's interesting is that premise you just said Victor, in any other movie, it would be that would be the primary dilemma and it would last the entire film. The question of do I or do I not send my own clone in to be murdered in my stead like that entire film. This is just the diving board 
by which he <laughs> leaps into so much craziness. And then you realize essentially the movie is not even about that moral conundrum at all. It's about what about the people that live so far beyond that moral conundrum that it doesn't even it doesn't even register with them, you know? And so for it to keep going, that's the kind of the generat the twisted generosity of this film, is it just keeps envisioning new places for this guy to find himself and he just keeps sort of you know it just keeps getting worse and worse in a certain yeah, sense he almost and, he turns he almost turns to the dark side because when he gets with this group of rich people they realize they're invincible they could do whatever they want to do because there's no consequences or is there and then as victor said earlier when he talked about it that this and, and trey you mentioned the same there's this there's this real element of what it is to be the creator of something and then have to wrestle with this idea that I put something out there and it wasn't really successful as I thought. And if I can't do it a second time, was I really who I thought I was or who everyone thought I was the first time? And that scene on the car where she, <laughs> some of the things she says that if you're a person that's ever tried to create something of an artistic nature, and the things she says in that car are very cutting <laughs> <laughs> very just the, that scene is so unhinged and Mia Goth hit such a level here. I mean, she's getting completely, uh, you know, she's deserved praise for everything she did last year in X and in Pearl, but man here, she just takes it to another level. Uh, and, and, and in a way diffuses some of the coldness because she's not a good person <laughs> by no. any means, mm-hmm. but there's, but, but, but there are various degrees of warmth. There's oh warmth, and then there's hey warmth, and there's a little bit of that. There's there's a sultriness to this movie that did not exist in Possessor. You know, even when right. sexuality came into the play in a movie like that, it was so dark and nightmarish. It's not that it's not nightmarish here, but there is a certain where he wants you to see the intoxicating nature of sort of believing that you don't need to care about anything. Or think that anything has a limit. That there's a point when you say, "Oh no, that's wrong. I can't, I can't do that." Yeah, she right. just, she just breaks him down mentally in this movie. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the key to rebuilding yourself uh, or oneself, I should say, is you know you have to be in touch with your repressed impulses and your regular impulses, and I think that's exactly the journey that James goes on in this yeah. movie. He, he doesn't know that he's capable of all these violent things or horrible thoughts, but he finds that it's appealing. Uh, and he can only get that when he goes through the ordeals uh, of, you know, the execution. And then he meets people who have also done it. And, you know, what are they capable of doing? What else have they done? You know, like, yeah. wh- where does this end? And, uh, you know, that's that's the, that's the key to, to him understanding himself. You know, is he going to survive this experience? Or is it going to be like Black Swan, where she's totally repressed the whole time and just seeks to be perfect and then finally unleashes her whole dark side at once and uh, it destroys her? Um, you know, it could be either way. I don't know. I think she proved early on in the beach peeing scene that she wasn't very innocent. well yeah right there's there's an aspect of this too that it's interesting because you have all the sci-fi stuff that we've mentioned and that of course will put it in league with several other cronenberg movies that you can think of but in a lot of ways i think the cronenberg movie it has the most in common with is crash and 
which is really not, you know, there's no science fiction in that film at all. But I feel like you're seeing similar journeys of a sort, Victor, between the characters in both films. And there is this kind of this world that we can't quite conceive of at a normal level. And the movie is like, no, don't stand over there. Come closer. (laughs) Put your Mm -hmm. head right up here. Watch this. Yeah. Well, I loved crash and I loved Mm -hmm. infinity pool. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, there's definitely some commonality there. All right. So Trey, you're number two. Yeah. So my number two you know, all will be carved. It is Thanksgiving. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know we've talked about this ad nauseum. I feel like everyone's probably <laughs> seen this movie at this point, but um, this was a late comer in the year. I did not expect to even watch it in theaters, let alone enjoy it. But I did, and it did have that 90s slasher feel, and I felt like it wasn't just a bunch of dumb characters either. I was very worried at the beginning in the cold open of this about some of the uh, teenage characters we were following and uh, things of that regard. But everything kind of was, you know, carved away rather quickly. And (laughs) what was left over was just uh, pure enjoyment. And I thought it was just such a, uh, you know, I lied about I think this was a fun movie as well. A tasty movie. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Definitely left it feeling full. Yeah, enough with the puns. I love Thanksgiving. It's my number two. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm happy to see it that high. Okay, let's move on to number one. Number one movies of 2023 horror movies. Brian, your number one movie is? Can you guys guess? <laughs> gobble, Just take gobble. A guess. <laughs> yep. Trey, <laughs> Trey's my man with his number two because my number one is right. Thanksgiving. Of course it is. Ten minutes into this movie, I knew it would be, Brian. <laughs> yep. And you, if you notice, I kept quiet when you guys talked yeah. about it because I was waiting. And Thanksgiving was freaking amazing. I went, I, you know, I never get to go to the theaters. You guys know my situation. I can't get out of the house. But I made a point. I got a babysitter. Me and my wife and our friend Ashley, we went to the theater. And it was a right in the theaters. This is a movie you have to see in the theaters. But then it hit. Uh, VOD and we bought it right away about a week ago and I watched it again and it really solidified on the second watch. This was my number one of the year. I think Eli Roth did everything right in this movie. I'm a big Eli Roth fan. I know some people aren't. I know Victor is because I heard him talk about him on a podcast on H and P a few. And um, what I like about Eli Roth is that, you know, he doesn't pigeonhole himself into a certain genre. You know, Hostel was a different type of movie. And then he went on to Cabin Fever, another different body horror movie. And then he went to Green Inferno, a cannibal movie. He made Knock Knock, kind of a weird home invasion movie. And then he made a slasher movie. He made a kid's movie before that. Oh, yeah. The House with a Clock in its Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he did, yeah. Okay, and then, so this guy has got a, a wide range, and we all know, if you listen to him on podcasts, this guy can talk on and on. Mm-hmm. He'll pull he'll pull out deep cuts like Mother's Day, Pieces, uh, Happy Birthday to Me, early 80s slashers that I love. And he's just a fan of slashers. So I was just waiting his whole career to make his pinnacle of slashers. Going back to his 2006 or 7, you know, Grindhouse uh, trailer, which I saw that movie in the theater. 
and Thanksgiving was a highlight of my of those trailers in between the movies. And just Eli Roth really did it and more in this movie. I, I'm actually glad I went in. I, I didn't watch anything leading up to this. I went into it thinking he was making an 80s movie, kind of like the trailer. I'm kind of glad he made an updated version, almost like that trailer existed as a 80 slasher. And this was a remake of it kind mm-hmm. of. And he incorporated a lot of the kills from that trailer, but he mixed them up a little bit, which was great. Like the parade beheading, the trampoline, obviously, the turkey scene. And there's a scene where he he sits over, and I won't reveal spoilers because I know a lot of people, It's this is a hard movie to see because it was only at theaters and then just now hit VOD and you have to pay 20 some dollars to see it. But there is a scene where he sets everybody around the Thanksgiving table. And it's a throwback to movies like Happy Birthday to Me that I mentioned, which I know he got that from, or like a Sleepaway Camp 2 where the bodies are all staged in the cabin. And I love those type of movies where the slasher reveal in the end is where they have people around a, a table just kind of taunting them. And the setup was great in the first five minutes. He really played it off with the Black Friday craze i mean it was so ridiculous the scene but it set up a good motivation for the murders a good reveal of who the killer was i mean just a fantastic movie it's my number one and it, and this is a movie and he just announced and i posted this on the groups that uh he was greenlit just a few days ago by sony or whoever produced this that um yeah that this could be a trilogy. So he's right now with him and his good buddy writing the script for part two. And that'll be coming out. He's hoping Thanksgiving of 2024. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to it. It'll be hard to top this one. I really hope, you know, and, and you know, this movie does have a lot of people will compare it to like scream. It does have a scream modern day sense, like feel of a slasher. And that's fine because I love scream. And, but it also has that kind of throwback 80s feel as well that he's a big fan of. So I'm looking forward to what he does next. And I'm proud to say that's my number one movie. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I what I love is, it. you're right, it feels like Scream, but it has that element. And that was one of the things that killed a lot of the 90s slashers was the self-awareness meta element of Scream. Every other movie felt like they had to have it. And Roth builds that in in a different way because now he's a point when, you know, lots of people are fans of these movies. I don't need to spell it out for you. You can figure that part out for yourself. We'll focus on making this story. I think he shows restraint here. He hasn't shown in other movies in his career, and it works. I think sometimes the restraint leads to a moment that's even more wince-inducing or or, or scary and horrifying than if he yes. had just gone full tilt like the way he did in the trailer that was so absurd that you kind of laughed at it and you're right. He can, he talks when you hear him talk about movies, you can see the passion. And I will admit that I have liked some of his other movies, but I'm, I have never been a huge fan. I've never seen the direct like correlation of the passion he has for movies when he talks with what's on screen until this movie. And I think it would be awesome. I, I haven't read anything about what he's going to do for Thanksgiving too. I think it would be awesome if he does for Thanksgiving what John Carpenter wanted to do with Halloween and actually makes everyone just completely different in some way, completely different oh, yeah. story. That would be pretty neat. 
See, I don't, I don't know, Nathan. I'm gonna disagree for one point. There is he's a big fan of Cannibal Holocaust, Slave of the Cannibal God, uh, Eaten Alive, these type of movies, and he implemented all that in Green Inferno. So that was one movie that did. The really... pieces were there. I yeah. I, for me, the execution was uh, no pun intended. <laughs> but yeah, now, I, I was a fan of Green Inferno. I really was. And um, but you're right. I was, I was too. Yeah, I he, liked it. He put all his heart and soul into this movie, and I think I think he did a fantastic job. I mean, I gave it the last movie, the last horror movie I gave a ten was X, and this was a ten for me this year. Very cool. Um, That's fair. And a better way to say, I'm, I'm glad you called me on that, Brian. I think a better way to say it is not that it, the passion is not there, but it feels like in Green Inferno and some of the others, he kind of retreats to like make a joke out of things like, oh, just kidding, guys. And not that there aren't moments of levity in Thanksgiving, but he sort of commits to the horror, to things being scary a little bit more here than some of those other movies. I feel like yeah. Hostel 2 is the only other movie where the the, the horror movie portions were exactly what they needed to be and were not being like tripped over by like ill-placed comedy moments. Right. Yeah. I'm so glad uh, Trey, Trey, I think just said he had it at number two and Nathan yep. and Victor, you had it around eight and nine. So I'm so happy. We all four had this in our top 10. That makes me so happy. Yes, it was, it definitely deserves to be in the top 10. Okay, so Trey, your number one movie of 2023. This is no surprise if you know me. I feel like it is Godzilla minus one. What Takashi Yamazaki does here, and I think it's interesting because this is a director who really before this did a lot of anime adaptations, especially ones that were just CGI anime adaptations, as well as doing the Godzilla the Ride movie. He kind of took this small budget and he made something that I don't think Godzilla has hit on before, and I don't think it's hit this level of character development, uh, writing, caring about characters in its existence all the way back to the beginning. I think this even tops the original in that regards. Now, I did get to see this with fellow longtime HMP listener Andred, I was glad to be able to get out to the theaters and see it. And it is still in theaters if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, the emotional roller coaster this thing takes you on and just where a film with Godzilla, where he's kind of the taking a backseat in certain aspects of it, but he's always driving the film forward. It's never it doesn't ever feel disconnected, even though when you're focusing on these characters and their day to day life it's still kind of all driven by Godzilla in a sense. And I think we've seen stuff with Godzilla in this film that I, we haven't seen before. Um, I think it's terrifying a lot of times when he's attacking and, you know, typically you're not feeling that um, since probably the original, but uh, yeah, excellent job all around Victor. I think you mentioned that ending the last 20 minutes of this were some of the best pieces of filmmaking I've ever seen. Some of the most fun I've had in a movie just tense and fun and bombastic and everything you would want. So um, this is, I wouldn't call it a perfect movie, but I would say it's pretty close for me. And uh, yeah, that was my favorite horror film of the year. And again, you know, I said, talk to me was my favorite for the most part of the year. And then Thanksgiving came along in November and then 
Godzilla minus one came along in December and that was just the, the chart topper for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, the end of the year finished quite strong, just like uh, Godzilla minus one. But yeah, I, I read that they are the movie's so popular in Japan that they're re-releasing it into the theaters in black and white, I guess, to, to draw comparisons to the first movie, uh, 1954. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I felt like, like one of the really cool things I haven't heard anybody talk about in the first movie, in the first Godzilla movie, the 1954 one, is the there's a survivor like there's a he, Godzilla attacks a ship and a guy survives and he is killed by Godzilla <laughs> almost <laughs> immediately in on in his island home like um because that's that's the next thing on on Godzilla's hit list and uh I thought that was so cool I I saw the 54 movie right before I saw Godzilla minus one to to kind of get back into the mindset and I thought that was a, that was a really cool moment that like the the doom of Godzilla is supernatural. Like you know, once you've encountered Godzilla, that's it. You're toast. Like even if you don't die, you will be destroyed. Like almost mm-hmm. immediately, he's almost like a ghost. And um, I felt like the filmmakers of Godzilla minus one really glommed onto that and flipped it in this movie, uh, so that the the survivor becomes the central protagonist of the movie although you can argue that the like you just said trey uh the 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 protagonist is really godzilla because he moves the movie forward but yeah and that's a great point victor and also i think uh, you know what i'll just let uh i'll let someone else take this because i'm sure they're i know what their number one is but um (laughs) tell me victor what's your number one movie (laughs) of 2023 well uh you guys have already talked to me about it (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it's talked to me. I, it was infinity pool for the longest time, but, um, upon reflecting on these movies in the last week, uh, talked to me, just barely beat it out. Nice. I think they're both masterpieces. Yeah. That's a great pick, Victor. Like that was what I think I had my six or whatever, but, um, talk to me was so good because it was original, you know, there's something to be said for an original movie in 2023 because things have been done before and I love the franchise movies. I love remakes. I love all that. But when something comes out like infinity pool or talk to me, originality goes a long way with me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I I mean, there's something to be said for enjoying a storyline you've seen before, but it's done in a sort of a more exciting way or an updated way or with characters you like better or whatever. And, and those movies are great, but uh, I, I try to keep those off the top 10 list because I think it, it's exactly like you, you just said, Brian, it's, it's those original ideas that really drive the entire genre forward. And, you know, people will see these movies and go, Ooh, I want to make the next talk to me or I want to yeah. make the next infinity pool. And that's where the next horror masters will come from. And that's what made this year a little bit special. Like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, a lot of original ideas this year, more, more so than years in the past. And one of the cool things about the originality about this film is it was, it's not originality, you know, completely whole cloth. It is taking some of those very, what would be in another film, tired ideas like, that scene when you first see what the hand can do, what that party trick really is, 
you're not really prepared for it. You know, usually we've seen so many of those scenes, the seance scene, the hypnotizing scene. I mean, and honestly, one of the creepiest scenes like that in my mind of more modern films was when they hypnotize Kevin Bacon in Stir of Echoes, you know, the way that scene is handled. This scene is like that in the sense of like, you're like, oh gosh, like now I get the implication of what's happening here and watching it happen and seeing it through the eyes of everyone else seated around that table, those kids around that hand. And then what this person who's doing it sees, man, that was just kind of next level. Like you're there in that room watching that happen uh, it was so well done. Yeah. So my number one movie of 2023 is not surprisingly Godzilla minus one have been a big Godzilla fan forever. Uh, trainers this. I would honestly say it's my favorite franchise, even though not every movie is an automatic winner. I can see these movies kind of again and again and again. And so, so familiar you know, am I with Godzilla in general? That going into this movie, I have to admit that, you know, so many other fans of other franchises are like, this is the movie I'm most anticipating. And it really wasn't until we started getting on top of the release date where I finally said to Trey, you know what? This might be the movie of the year for me, but I would not have been expecting it otherwise. I mean, I expect about a certain level from Godzilla these days. And, you know, sometimes we hit that mark and sometimes we don't. It's not a very high bar sometimes. Uh, when you're dealing with the Godzilla films. So I was really blown away ultimately when I finally saw the movie and I took my son and uh, a buddy of ours and we went to see the movie and how good it was, how well done it was to see that movie. And Victor, you and I talked about how uh, Shiro Honda, who directs the original film, uh, he also worked on and had a hand in, it was kind of adjacent to Akira Kurosawa and, and uh, the films that Kurosawa's making. And honestly speaking, of all the Godzilla films that exist, it's this one, even more so than the one from the, you know, the 54 Honda film. It has the vibe and the feel. There are moments that do feel like this is what Kurosawa would have made had he made a Godzilla film. There's a little bit of a feel of this is what Spielberg would do if he had made a Godzilla film. The Godzilla is amazing when he shows, when he hits that, when he hits landfall about midway through the film and you get the classic Godzilla theme, which, by the way, was the the march into uh, my wedding, unsurprisingly. But <laughs> um, uh, oh, not the wedding, but the, the uh, when you go into the, the hall, you know, for the um, reception, the reception, it was that music. It wasn't what we actually walked up the aisle to. My wife would have never allowed that. <laughs> but uh, when that happens and you you're struck, I found my my son was like. Dad, did you notice that you had you know, reclined your seat forward and we're now leaning in? I was like, no, I didn't. But when he's he attacks and we have a scene of what it looks like to be the person inside the bus, the kind of scene, you know, the, yeah. seeing what happens to all those passengers in the bus is not something that was typically happening in the old films. And so, yeah, this is the best movie since that one. But let's face it, realistically, those scenes in the 50s movie are never going to have the same impact that they have for 50s viewers or for you, you know, ourselves as kids, because the special effects really are a little weaker and we aren't going, we just really can't have that same reaction. So to see him chomping down and people hanging out of the bus, it's like this is the, this is the visualization of everything they tried previously. 
And they're not the best special effects you've ever seen, but the way in which they're utilized gives you some of the best action scenes that you've seen with special effects, at least this year for me, it yeah. was top notch because you were in it dramatically and emotionally. And it is about really like, I think Victor, you hit it on the head. There's a survivor's guilt. The original film is about the nuclear fallout and, and, and what we've done and what we've wrought upon the world and the metaphor of the bomb. And what's interesting is this movie, every other Godzilla movie ties him directly to that nuclear element and what's kind of very interesting is they don't do that here you know it's not that it's not there or it's never commented upon but it's really about the survivor's guilt in japan after the war already being decimated and i love that it hones in on these small characters and there's a big bombastic scene towards the end and there is this moment that that could be corny in another movie but when you get to that moment you see it from the eyes of a totally different character and you realize how important it is to that character. And that's where the pathos comes from. That's where the emotion comes from. Not from this act of this act simply happening, but because it matters to someone somewhere in the plot and the way he builds these scenes together with the theme. And you feel like you're watching Jaws in some moments. I really did. Mm -hmm. Like the level of involvement I had. I mean, this is a 10 out of 10 for me. The only 10 out of 10 on this list, um, Infinity Pool is very close, but it was just everything I would have wanted from a movie experience. And I think uh, I remember uh, Roger Ebert saying when Dark Knight came out, he said, this is the Batman movie. I'd say this is a Batman movie I always wanted, but I actually didn't know I wanted these things in a Batman movie. <laughs> so I can say <laughs> this is the Batman movie that I hoped would be made. I just didn't know what things to hope for. That's kind of the way I feel with this Godzilla movie. I don't know that I would have ever expected to see some of those things here or that they would work so well, but I, I really think they do. So, yeah. So you guys, you guys know that uh, Toho controlled the franchise for a while. They were cranking out the Godzilla movies and then legendary picked it up with the, um, the well, I mean, it, the, there was the Roland Emmerich Godzilla, and then there was the uh, who who's the guy that did the most most recent one, the one with the like the parachuters going down. Oh, fight. Gareth Edwards. Yeah, Gareth Edwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks. Uh, so yeah, that, at that point, Legendary picked it up, and and they made you know uh, uh, like uh, two two or three Godzilla movies, and then Kong and Kong Skull Island and Kong versus Godzilla, uh, and now. This movie is so popular that it might shift back to Toho again. So, yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think about? Would you would you rather see another Toho Godzilla movie or would you rather see a legendary Godzilla movie? I'm so greedy. I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> at, at this point, I think I'd be interested to see what Toho does from here. And I think anything you follow this up with has to either be like a direct sequel in the same tone or it's going to have to be very clear that this isn't that. And what I don't want Victor is a follow-up. I don't want another Shin Godzilla into Godzilla minus one. And what I mean by that is just the Godzilla origin story over and over, which I feel like Toho has done several different yeah. times in different resets. Yeah. Um, what I want is a progression from that wherever we go. So whether that's a sequel directly to minus one or whether that's something completely different, that's building up one minus one. I think I don't need a connected universe. I just want something that's 
isn't another origin story. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the interesting answer to that question is, hey, I like I really I do want both. And here we're seeing that it's happening, you know, simultaneously, like as we're getting Godzilla minus one, we're getting the big candy coated crack looking Godzilla Kong movie, you know, it looks like it's bringing in like a baby Kong like that stuff is ridiculous. But I that is a part of Godzilla, too. And so is this. And the follow up to this movie is got I believe now after watching it is Godzilla 1954 it dawned on me that oh wait in a certain low key sense this is a prequel you know you could fit mm-hmm. this in and Godzilla 1954 makes perfect sense with the continuity of what they because they keep this so hedged into this one experience uh you could really this is almost a prequel to that so Tohu could go wherever they want and Trey, as you know, when they did their next series after Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, the next series, that millennial Godzilla, mm-hmm. they were all different movies. The, none of them were yep. really a sequel to the, except for, I think, uh, the Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla and then Tokyo SOS. They are, they form a two movie like yeah. series. But And Tokyo SOS is an, in itself was a sequel to Mothra. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very very weird but <laughs> they could do whatever they want i don't really care as long as they're but um, they're good yeah and i don't necessarily i kind of i don't know that i want to necessarily see a follow-up to this in the same way you know i would actually you mentioned mothra i think it would be cool to see someone take that which is a bit of a a lighter you know mothra to godzilla the original film it's a great film but it is a little bit lighter it is maybe a little bit more like a kid's film but i'd love to see someone take that seriously the way they took Godzilla seriously. So that's almost what I want. I want to see Toho take that realistic eye and that like mainstream big adventure movie where the monster is a component, but not the only component and apply that. Let's see some, let's see what they can do with Rodan and Mothra (laughs) and things like that. That's, I would love that. Yeah. But instead of that, you know, we get Morbus, Morbius and Craven the Hunter. So. Well, that's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no I'd, I'd love that as well because they did do that in the you know that's what that was toho's game let's create the next yeah. godzilla um so you had rodan you had mothra and it'd be very interesting to see them do that again yeah so yeah that is uh that's our our list that's uh our so number one for trey myself godzilla and number one for victor talk to me and number one for Brian was Thanksgiving. So uh, our list will be available in the show notes. You'll get the top tens counted down. And I, I'm going to make mine, once this episode's up, available on Letterboxd. You can go to Letterboxd to see my top 10 horror movies of 2023. And anyone else who has one, I'll, I'll make sure the list is available there. If you're listening to this and you think, hey, you missed a bunch of uh, movies, then please let us know. But even more so than that, make sure you go over to the facebook page or on twitter and vote and put your give us your list of top tens we will read those aloud on the next show and we'll discuss and we'll we'll have rankings and see where everything falls and we will in that episode brian's going to come back and join us and we're going to talk a little bit more about those movies that fall into the honorable mentions because i got to say and i think uh victor you said this at the beginning there are some honorable mentions that honestly blew me away to the point, not not because they were like amazing movies, but some of them were in in franchises I had long since given up on, 
or a movie that just I hadn't been hearing much about and, you know, deserve to be talked about, you know, and, and have a moment to be uh, discussed. And so we will be doing that on the next episode. So before we close out completely, I'm going to let everyone go around the horn and give anything you want, you know, where to find you, what to look for, that sort of thing. But yeah, we'll be having Brian back. And I just want to say to everyone, because this is probably the last time you will hear our voices before the end of the year, or you may be hearing them just as the year is ending. Have a happy, safe, wonderful new year. We're looking forward to podcasting in 2024 and, you know, just taking HMP 2.0 to the next level. So on behalf of everybody, happy new year. And uh, let's go around. Trey, let everybody know where to find you. Anything else, final thoughts? Yeah. And uh, circling back to your point, Nathan, I will make sure that the uh, the link to the Google form you can fill out for your top 10 is included in the show notes of this as well. But uh, yeah, you can find me over on Screaming Through the Ages where I do my own solo cast and I will be having my kind of extended look at the year where I kind of go deeper into a lot of the, you know, what would be honorable mentions here. Um, give a list of that coming up very soon, probably just a little bit after this one. But yeah, that's where you can typically find me if it's not a horror movie podcast. Very cool. Thanks, Trey. And uh, Victor, how about you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah, hope you enjoyed the show. And, and um, by all means, if you if you uh, disagree with my top 10 list, um, just uh, follow me on at Dime Store Caesar on Twitter or Instagram. That's the best way to get in touch with me. And yeah, let's talk about the way you thought the list should be or, you know, just send me a link to your list because I'll check that out. And um, yeah, so many movies out there to choose from. And I uh, really appreciate podcasting with you guys because every episode I learn something. So thanks. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And okay, Brian, how about you? Well, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me join in. It's really an honor to join HMP. I love all three of you guys, especially Trey for having Thanksgiving as number two. And uh, <laughs> speaking back to last year's uh, top 10 list, I think that Nathan and Victor had bones and all at their number one, if I remember right. Yeah. What a, what a fan, what a fantastic movie that was. Yes. So you guys <laughs> have a great taste in movies. Can't wait to join y'all for the next episode. And 2023 was a great year. I'm really shocked. I can't wait on the next episode to talk about, I have a list of five movies that I'm just surprised none of us brought up. So we'll speak on those next episode. Yeah, there's a couple there too, and there were there were ones that I thought for sure would be there, and I was also initially shocked and thought, "Wow, I can't believe uh, there was there's one movie I was shocked that I'm I'm in a position to put one of these movies on my list. I didn't even think I thought would happen, and uh, so that I think proves that it was a strong year, even if it didn't quite reach the heights. But I mean, honestly, a movie as good as Godzilla minus one, I uh, that's as good as a movie that's been on any of my recent lists in recent years. So. And the same for Infinity Pool. So some really, really good stuff there. Uh, you, of course, uh, outside of a year at HMP, you can find me over at Phantom Galaxy. We are relaunching for the new year. We have a lot of cool stuff coming out there. And we will be doing top 10 there. But that will be a sort of all-genre list. And we're, we're just going to do one of those since I'm 
podcasting here doing top 10 horror and bill does that over at uh land of the creeps so we will be doing just our general movies list and you're gonna see some more um uh, more of the voices you're hearing tonight over there when we do it so you can check us out at phantom galaxy that's uh over at podbean and you can also find it pretty much at all the uh, podcatchers and yeah that's that's the episode but again we will be back with the second part of this and that part's really important that get our list get excuse me get your list to us and then we will have uh the opportunity to talk about them next time and we will we'll go down the list we will also look at you know what the cumulative top tens were and things like that from the listeners and uh, we will share your lists on the show so really looking forward to that we will also probably have just a small segment where we do talk about the movies that we're looking forward to in the horror genre in 2024 and one of the things I love when we, anytime we ever do a, a segment like that, you know, you always inevitably have these five or six movies you're looking forward to. I think the sign of a good movie year is when you realize your top 10 doesn't look like those movies exclusively. And there were so many little surprises along the way you didn't anticipate. I wasn't anticipating a talk to me or, or to be fair, even Godzilla minus one. I wasn't anticipating those movies walking into the new year, but uh, last year, but here, here we are. So I'm looking forward to that segment as well. So uh, anything else? Uh, Brian, thank you so much. It was a, a great pleasure to have you on the show. And I'm looking forward for you coming back next episode. Anything else anybody has? Nope. No, I don't think so. Just thank you so much, guys. Okay. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. And this has been Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.